What's up, guys and gals? Tonight's Gravity Lab Radio's guest is Christy West. I've actually known Christy for quite a while, longer than either her, either her or I have been at Spaceland, and we'll get a little bit into that tonight, but Christy is a uh, longtime competitor, uh, absolute badass skydiver, and I want to dig into that story. I think it's inspirational for younger, for newer jumpers, for people who don't have a lot around them to, to find somebody to look up to and to role model after. And I think it's cool to see where Christy came from and what she's done. She is your average everyday working kind of person, and she just hustles hard to uh, do well for herself. Uh, before we hear a little bit about Christy, though, tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by SSK SSK Industries. You can go to their website, sskinc.com. sskinc.com is their new website. They just launched it. And they've been on the webs forever, but they just wanted to update with the times. A lot of you might know the name SSK. They are the U.S. distributor for AirTech for the Cypress and the Service Center. So if you're ever getting your Cypress uh, serviced, you're going to air, uh, you're going straight to SSK. If you're in the United States, uh, it goes a little bit further than that. Uh, I know for LB altimeters, they do the Service Center for everything outside of Europe. So uh, whatever your technology needs are, if you're getting service, if it's a Cypress or an LB altimeters, know that it's getting taken care of by SSK. They do a great job. Like AirTech and like LB Altimeters, SSK is huge on customer service and putting the people first. It's important to them that skydivers are what we all are, are all about. Check out sskinc.com. You can find them on Instagram and on Facebook. Look for sskus on either platform. Till then, enjoy getting to know Miss Christy West. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Now I need one with these, man. That's so much harder to read my fucking phone screen. Are you there yet? <laughs> I went to my eye doctor yesterday. And? And they uh, actually backed my prescription down I hear. My eyes are getting better. And still no bifocals, no nope. reading glasses. Oh, nope. I hate you. I absolutely hate you. <laughs> I posted. She keeps in, threatening. She's been threatening to put me in bifocal uh, contacts. Right? Lady and gentlemen, I think it's happening. I think it's real. <laughs> I'm really not sure. <laughs> so, in the description of the show, I mentioned that you've been skydiving for uh, over 20 years, which is odd because you're only 29. Right. Yeah. So, um, to Early the start. yeah, how old are you? We're doing the reading. I'm doing the the eyeglasses question. I'm going to violate that. I don't think that. you could start with the question you're not <laughs> yeah, supposed to I'm ask a lady. <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't think you do that. Valerie just. <laughs> had her eye exam today as well and she's a couple years behind me mm-hmm. and the doctor's like next year you're probably gonna want reading glasses she's like yeah i think i do i'm getting close <laughs> so how far away are you from reading glasses yeah i don't know my eye doctor's been threatening for a few years now and every time we go do the eye exam she says yeah you don't need them quite yet so yeah holding out she says it's how i use my eyes because yeah. i do a lot of work up close but then i also do a lot of distance stuff when i'm jumping so so there's a good balance Theoretically. Strength and balance. Balance Danielson. Yes. Hmm. Danielson. You watch uh, Cobra Kai? You know, I tried. I tried when, you know that it was on YouTube Premium before it was on... No, I had no clue. Netflix? No. Like they were trying to get people to subscribe to the paid version of YouTube by offering that show. And I think that they showed one episode of it for free, maybe two. Whatever they had for free, I watched it and it wasn't compelling enough that I uh, wanted to pay for YouTube after that. 
it's super nostalgic. It more than anything else, especially if you're the right age. And Christy's only 29, so she wouldn't enjoy it I'm as so much. I'm too young. I wouldn't. Yeah, I, you wouldn't. It wasn't a thing. Um, <laughs> we talked a little bit about this before the show. I, I want to kind of get to the end of your story. And I, I want to do that because to me, you're a very inspiring story. A lot of young jumpers think, well, I'm not in the right environment to get to where I want to go. I don't have the right coaches around me. I don't have the right motivation. I don't have the right teammates. And they just think they can't do it. So the end of the story, you're on the U.S. team. Yes. You're on the U.S. women's team four-way. Yep. You have placed in nationals gold medals in advanced four-way and medals in other disciplines, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. So multiple years competing, multiple medals. You've actually, you and my wife have been on teams together. I think my wife shot a video of one of your four-way teams. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she was actually on the year before I got onto light. Okay, you weren't the first year. Correct. She was. I was year two. Okay, so you kind of, well, different place, Close. but replaced her. Yeah, there uh, was Deguayo. Deguayo. You guys were on Deguayo together. But you, you have this, you have, you've accomplished a lot in your career and in your short 29 years old life. <laughs> and back to it, a lot of young jumpers think, I can't. I don't have it around me. So I want to kind of go where your roots come from, where you started, and you did not get lucky to be on the U.S. team. You did not do something silly to get there. You worked your ass off. You've worked hard, but you're not a full-time skydiver. Kind of a tricky statement because sure. you do work in marketing and skydiving. Sure, but I do not skydive full-time. Exactly. And, and as a matter of fact, you're on the drops in a lot less than most of the sta- uh, e- uh, even the administrative mm-hmm. staff. Yep. Um, so you've done this as a working person, not a full-time skydiver. Right. Man, it can be done. It can be done, absolutely. And I think there are a few different paths that people take to competitive skydiving. Some people get in, hit it super hard. You know, like you said, well, maybe I don't have the coaches around me. They go to where the coaches are. Spend a lot of money, spend a lot of time, invest a ton of effort, get where they want to go, and then move on to the next thing. I've never really approached competition. I've Actually, I've never really approached the sport that way. By the way, I know I have a tendency to talk way too fast, so just feel free to tell me to chill. It's out me if I'm and going you. They're used fast. to it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they're used so to I'm me, trying. so you're gold. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> no, you and I were good. <laughs> okay. Um, but so the way I've approached the sport was that it was a lot of fun, and it was something it was super exciting and fun to do, and I loved the people, and I just felt like I'd found a really, really great place to be. So for me, competition has never been about. I want that gold medal. It's about, it's been about, this is something I love doing. And this is the way that I love doing it is by getting better at it. And I'm not trying to hit it. I don't have a timeline, you know, obviously. And <laughs> <laughs> but I've uh, just, just have a good time with it and surround yourself with good people and just have a good time. And I, I've never, I've, I've never looked at this sport as something that I wanted to achieve something and then go do something else. I've always said, I want to do this always. It's one of the so things. It's a little different approach than. I think it's, I think it is a. I hate to say a unique approach, but it is a more unique approach. It should be a more normal approach, right? But it's rare that you see somebody who's been on so many teams, and just by nature of your career, you're Mm going to be on that many teams. And I've actually never seen you amongst the drama of a team. I've seen you deal with it. I've seen it be Mm -hmm. around you. But the drama uh, on a small four-way team, I don't think I've ever seen it on Mm -hmm. your four-way teams. On a team like the Guaya, where you have 16 people, there's going to be drama somewhere. It's minimal, mm-hmm. but there's you get 17 people on a team, and there's going to be somebody disagreeing with somebody. You take your own party wherever you go. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that has its upsides and its downsides. But you, man, it's a huge party. Dinners <laughs> together were fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but you never have been around that drama yourself, mm-hmm. and that's something that most competitors can't say, that they, they commonly find themselves, not commonly, but sometimes find themselves on teams with strife, 
And I think you hit the nail on the head. You've made it fun the whole time. You've always mm-hmm. had a priority about the people, the community, the fun. And I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And that, that was definitely the guiding philosophy of light as well. You know, we want to skydive with our friends. We can get, we can become better skydivers, but we can't make people better if they're horrible. Spaceland Light, absolutely, I hate the words, was a phenomenal team, but mm-hmm. I, it's just where they're at now, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, had a great tenure. And I want to get to them eventually, but let's go back in the Wayback Wind Machine. I know it's impossible that you started skydiving in these years, but when did you start jumping? My first jump was January of 97. I didn't ask when you were born. <laughs> <laughs> January of 97. Yep. I uh, September of 97, same year. I did not realize that we started the same year. You're a baby. I, I am. I'm... <laughs> I can't do math in my head, man. <laughs> um, and what kind of jump did you, what was your first jump? It was a tandem. Tandem where at? It was at Santa Greenville in South Carolina, which has been closed for quite some time. It's on a Donaldson Center airport, which is actually a whole lot of fun because there were some very large military aircraft going in and out of that place. And the whole drop zone would just stop and watch. Like <laughs> something uh, a C-130 or something or so bigger. Yeah. You know, just because we've got this one little tiny corner of the airport with a 182 and a King Air. So. <laughs> you could fit both your planes inside a C-5 and it's just going <laughs> to take off and fly you away. Um, it was a uh, 182 drop zone? 182 and a King Air. King Air. And yeah. your first jump was out of which? The King Air. The King Air? Yep. What was your first jump experience like? Cold. Cold? It when? was January. <laughs> yeah, that's right, January. Um, and what made you decide to try it? Uh, Randy Connell. You have Son him to thank bitch. for that. Yep. Man. <laughs> Told you Randy's good for something. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's good. No, I've, I've known Randy since uh, the first year I was in college. So um, I met him when I was 18. So we've been good friends for a really long time. And uh, he, he bought my first jump. He said, you know, you really should try a skydive. I said, you really should ride a horse. So we traded. And you're still skydiving. I'm still skydiving. I'd love to see Randy ride a horse. He actually, he took lessons he rode for a while. Did he? He is not I, bad. I'd like to see it now. It'd just be a little more <laughs> entertaining. He'd probably be yelling at the horse the whole time, but he'd be good. We'll go visit Vulcan. Go for a ride. Oh, that's Vulcan has horses. There you go. I, I forget about that. <laughs> um, You kind of did it because a friend wanted you to. Mm-hmm. What convinced you to keep uh, to keep moving? I mean, that, I probably like a lot of us, that first jump, I was just... Like, oh, my God, that was so much fun. I want to keep doing that. And I came back in May to do the AFF course because at the time I was still in school, but I was in school in Kentucky. So I was visiting Randy, who lived in South Carolina. And so it was a, a little on the far side. And I said, well, when I'm, when I'm done with my, with my degree, because I was finishing, finishing up my bachelor's in animal science at the University of Kentucky, I want to come back and do AFF. So that's when I came back into May or beginning of June or something like that and, and went through AFF in a few days. I want to stop right there. Did you hear what her degree was in, Nick? Did you know that? Uh, no, hang on. I'm looking through photos right now. You have to tell me that again. What's your degree in again? Animal science, equine production. Animal <laughs> science. No, I didn't catch that. I was, uh, you mentioned your first jump, so I'm scrolling through your Facebook photos to try and find the oldest thing I can find. It's one of my favorite things is... It's probably not the oldest thing. I have it in my favorites on my phone if you're really desperate. For a long time in my brain, Christy was the horse lady. It, it sounds almost rude, but you mm-hmm. worked for a horse that magazine? Was, that was my job. Yeah, yeah. I was go- I originally planning to go to vet school, and then I changed my mind. So, What changed your mind? I worked for a hospital called Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital in Lexington, which is one of two major equine hospitals in the Lexington area serving like all the big thoroughbred farms and all that. So some very big equine hospitals. And I worked at one for a foaling season. So I worked mostly, you know, second, third shift for, you know, six months because they've always got a lot of, in the, mostly in the neonatal ICU. So not, not always neonates, but that time of year, that's mostly what it is. You know, early, early babies. And it was it was great work, and I loved it, and I thought, man, this is a great job. But these people are on call twenty four seven for all their life, <laughs> because when pe- when horses are that expensive, it's not like 
you know, well, I'll just get to the vet tomorrow when we can. It's, you know, nope, there's a problem with this horse, this million dollar horse right now. So you're on call forever. And I went, man, I just don't know if I want to be on call for the rest of my life. So I went into journalism and ended up in social media. And, you know, it kind of comes out about the same, but it's just not as life threatening. <laughs> Although people think it is sometimes. You don't have to run in somewhere. You just have to pick up your phone and type something now. It's a little bit less, less threatening. Yeah, there's, there's there are no dying horses, but there's a very angry comment on Instagram that it <laughs> needs your attention right this moment. Uh, it happens a lot. Actually, not seriously as much anymore. Thank you, Nicole. Oh, man, she does. I, I, th- I think Nicole has a lot to do behind our space lands. Yeah, she does. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's, she's taken most, most all of it over for Houston and, uh, and parts of it for the other locations as well. It's just awesome. Uh, um, so you made that first jump. Mm-hmm. In May, you get back at to it. And I, I got to stop while I'm thinking of it. Does the name Bart Stone Street mean anything to you? Um, yeah. Did you know Bart from before skydiving? No. Because Bart and I, he, uh, for, for a little disclosure for people who don't know this, old skydiving buddy of ours, learned to skydive here in Houston. Uh, I taught him to skydive his tandem, his license, his coach rating, his tandem rating. He taught me to base jump. He taught me to wingsuit. So fucking cool, dude. Nice. It was, it was so cool to, to become the student mm-hmm. of, of your student. It, it, was, it was a great time. But as long as he didn't put you in the suit with the, or suit with the booby handles. No, he did not put me in that suit, man. That suit was... Booby handles? Do you yes. not know of these uh, mm. old... To- so, uh, Somewhere to- I have this photo, too. Tony's suit created a wingsuit that wanted to have minimal drag. So everything was inside the suit, including your handles. Your cutaway handle and your reserve handle. Mm-hmm. And on the outside of the suit was a little place to Velcro your handles. Excuse me, what was that? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Woo, that was a burrito when pieces came out. I'm so sorry. Congratulations. Yeah, dude. On your mic, Nick. Oh, my God. That's he's going to change that pop filter. I know I know what he does. Oh, man. He's one of the biggest germaphobes I know, and I appreciate I, it. I have a stack of pop filters. Like, I buy them by the baggie. Uh, they don't get changed all the time. I try to monitor how everybody's doing. Um, uh, so they place the handles, Nick, on, on Velcro on the outside of your suit, so you have no chest strap, no, nothing else but your handles, and those handles lanyard to your cutaway cable and your reserve cable. And Bart made his handles out of boobs, so he walked. Oh, over. I did see those boobs. Yeah, little round boobs. <laughs> yeah, yep, I know exactly what you mean now. Man, Bart, I, I missed them. Just that. tell me they had silicon in them somewhere. Uh, they were plush. They were <laughs> fluffies. They were just little stuffed animal toys. Mm-hmm. So he made me coddle them more than once. I'm and I don't think "made me" was "made" was the wrong word. I think the picture I have of him from uh, before jumping that suit was before we did the high altitude jumps one year. It was one of those, man, we're going up to, I forget exactly what altitude they got. 21.5, maybe 22. I don't remember. I'm like, man, that is going to be a long mm-hmm. wingsuit flight. He, uh, I don't think he regretted it, but he, I think he all but regretted mm-hmm. it. We talked about it before and after. And I told him, like, that's going to be the most fucking boring sky I've ever, man. That's going to, like, you're going to come down and you're not going to be able to, like, unstow your toggles. You're going to be so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, what, what, a, I wouldn't do it. I'm, people are doing it. There's a guy in, France, I think, trying to exit from 42,000 feet soon. Doing a wingsuit jump from 42,000 feet. It's got to be uh, sketchy in that thinner air. Sure. Like, you know, I, what was his name? Felix getting out of control. We're not going to be mm-hmm. in the stratosphere. But uh, I even know subterminal openings on a Valkyrie at 14,000 is much brisker. Much, different. Yeah, sure. it's very different. Anyways, you, uh, you start skydiving again in May. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to get your license? 
Um, well, it took it took me a few months to get to the twenty jumps um, because I was in the process of moving up to Wisconsin to go to school to go to school up there. Just so I didn't, I didn't spend the whole summer. You know, I, I went there and I did AFF and hung out for a little bit, and you know, ended up doing you know, like my twentieth jump and finishing my license up. I think in Wisconsin because at the time it was just twenty jumps, but. Um, and I think I did, I had, I didn't have a license for the Richmond boogie that year. It's my first boogie, but I had a fax from USPA that said to whom it may concern <laughs> Christy West has a license number, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, but yeah. I no, laugh because I remember those. Quick. Yeah. AFF was pretty quick. <laughs> AFF was actually a pretty, uh, a pretty fantastic prank. I, do you not know this story? No. Really? You bring it. All right, cool. I might, and I need reminding, so tell it in, if I, either way. <laughs> right. So at the, at the time, uh, Randy and I were dating, and I decided I wanted to go through AFF, but I wanted to do it away from him, and I wanted it to be a surprise. And so I waited till he was uh, working a photography contract out in California, and then snuck off to his home drop zone to do AFF. So when he got back, we, we spent all week, you know, doing, doing the AFF things, getting, getting all that stuff done, and then figuring out how we were going to do this jump when he, when he got back, right? Mm-hmm. So what we ended up, and of course, there were all sorts of, all sorts of suggestions, right? You know, we had uh, Ronnie, who was a Green Beret. He's like, you know, we'll just, we'll open the door to spot, and then you just bomb on out of there, and I'll just tackle him. And she's gone, man, she's gone. <laughs> that was one of the suggestions. But anyway, what we ended up doing was just like, let's just treat it as a standard AFF jump, but then everybody else chase it. Right. So he thinks it's just a, a regular AFF level one. Like I'm coming back to do this, but I hadn't started yet. So that's what we did is, um, you know, and, and it was we were on the drops on all day Saturday without jumping because there was weather. And I'm super antsy about the whole thing, not because I'm nervous about the jumps. At this point, I had, you know, 12 whole skydives. <laughs> you know, I, I, I got this. But um, but I, somebody was going to blow it. Right. I'd been there all week. My bad. <laughs> Found a video hidden in some photos. <laughs> I buy that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like somebody's going to blow it. And somebody almost did. The uh, the, the drop zone owner's um, wife, uh, Laura, she kind of snuck up at one point and, you know, came up behind a group that was talking. She's like, hey, you got a pretty good birthday present, right? And, you know, and he's like, yeah, that she's doing her first jump. Yeah. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we hadn't got to jump because there was weather. And then Sunday, we didn't get to jump till fairly late because, of course, at this point, I'm just another lift ticket and they've got students that they have to take care of, for, real students that they have to take care of first. And, you know, at some point, I said something about it. And he's like, you know, I know I know, Andy's giving you a break on, on this jump, you know, so don't worry about it. You know, we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm like, somebody's going to blow it, man. Somebody's going to say something. Anyway, so long story short, uh, we did that jump out of the King Air, you know, check in, check out, prop up, down, go, launched it as a standard AF two jump master AFF. And was with, Randy with video? You? Randy was shooting video. Okay. And uh, I actually had somebody else come out on video as well, because honestly, I wanted to make sure the whole thing was in there. I wasn't <laughs> quite sure what he was going to do when he figured out he, he was getting screwed with. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, get out on the jump and then, in, you know, no, no PRCPs, no altitude checks. We just transitioned to risk grips. So I'm just in the middle with the instructors on either side. And next thing you know, Ronnie, the one who said he was just going to tackle him and tell, tell him I was gone, you know, pretty much crashes us between me and one of the instructors, rips open the grip. Somebody else does some, the same thing on the other side. Next thing you know, it's a seven-way round. And Randy <laughs> is bamboozled. And his eyes were pretty much going from the top of the camera helmet down to, <laughs> the, down to the chin strap. He just, like, backed off and just filmed it, like, 
okay. <laughs> and Randy's got a pretty good uh, uh, passion for safety. Absolutely. So I'm sure at this point, as a matter of fact, my first interaction with Randy Connell mm-hmm. ever was with safety. Um, mm-hmm. He was wrong, but it was for safety. <laughs> I'll share the story. I won't share the story, but he uh, he had accused me of doing something with a tandem student. I was the videographer, not the tandem instructor. Okay. So I was like, hey. I understand your concern. I understand he complained to our SNTA. I understand where you could come in with for this, et cetera, et cetera. But I can show you the video because I was the video guy. So mm-hmm. yeah. it, it's not this there's, direction. There's proof here. Yeah. yeah. And he was super, Randy was super respectful, mm-hmm. super nice. But yep. um, I'm sure he was torn between like, this is badass. What the fuck are they doing, man? I was just <laughs> like, I don't know how to feel about it. I, it, was, it was pretty great. No, I'd never actually heard that story. I did not okay. know that one. That was new. So you have at this point 12, 13 skydives. Mm-hmm. That was jump 13. When did you realize skydiving was something that was going to be a long time passion for you? I mean, on jump one. On jump one? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people say that and a lot don't know. Uh, is it some who do and some mm-hmm. who don't? And at some point you decide you want to get into p- competitive skydiving. Mm-hmm. What was your first team? How many jumps? What, when? How did this come to fruition? So I spent the first few years jumping. I jumped... Um, so I jumped a little bit of Wisconsin and I was going, that was my first year up there working on my masters and we were jumping at a little drop zone. There were two, two little drop zones in the area that were close. Hi, Missy. <laughs> Melissa. Mm-hmm. I didn't say the other word, did I? <laughs> I'm Melissa. There you go. <laughs> but uh, there were two little drop zones in the area. One was called Seven Hill Skydivers, which I've still never been to. The other one was um, called Skydive Madison, which I did go to based on flipping a coin from the phone book. <laughs> Look at the, from the two listings in the phone book and uh, ended up at, at Skydive Madison, which was only about 20 minutes from my house, which is great. And there were um, there were a few of us there from the University of Wisconsin-Madison one afternoon. And the DZO says, hey, you know, you guys should start a skydiving club. And we kind of looked at each other and went, all right, cool. So that, that was our four club officers. And one of them, by the way, was uh, Christian Young. So he, and, uh, uh, he and his wife, uh, is it Jennifer? God, I'm drawing a blank. Elizabeth, there we go. Um, came, came down to Houston at one point. And it was really cool to see them, but they've been pretty active in Tennessee, jumping in Tennessee. Christian so, and Elizabeth. Yep. She was here visiting our med center. Yes. Yeah, I know them. Yep. I met them here. We go way back. Yep. Um, I've I've met them on a couple different occasions, and mm-hmm. every time it's been tremendous. Even mm-hmm. even though they're traveling and doing what they're doing, it's man, what a good couple. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, uh, she actually has uh, recently hosted some uh, cis stuff up in yep. uh, Memphis, uh, West Tennessee. I think it was. I was about and to say it's Tennessee. I think it's West Tennessee. Yeah, West. It was West Tennessee, and raising us uh, for breast cancer awareness. Yep. I actually got tied in with her for that. So yep. yeah, super cool people. Man, what a fun. small world. It is, right? Yeah. But uh, we started that club up there, and we had we had so much interest in skydiving out of that campus. It was, I mean, none of us had ever run a club before. And, you know, none of us had, I think Christian might have had 80 jumps, so he was the high timer out of <laughs> us at the time, something like that. You know, I only had like my 20, whatever I got back from the boogie with. You know, I don't, I don't even think I had 30 jumps. And there were a couple of brothers that had uh, <clears throat> uh, Scott and um, Jeff Paulson who had, I think that's right. God, it's been so long since I thought about some of those guys. But um yeah, they were in 50, 60 range, maybe. So uh, we started the club. And we had a ton of interest and it was great. But then the drop zone went under after a little bit after Christmas. Uh, there's something, some kind of shady stuff going on there. I'm not sure what, exactly what it was. There was something about, oh, somebody stole all the rigs. So, oop, they got, they got found over here. It was kind of a, yeah, sure. So we needed another home to take the club because we had a lot of people that came out. The first uh, Leap Fest is what we called the event that we did for first timers, um, was was in a way a huge success in a way it had a lot of lot of room to go because we had a 182 and a 206 on the drop zone we had to put most most people towards static line because we only had one tandem instructor uno alberto he was great 
But uh, a lot of people wanted to do tandem, and we just couldn't. We just had to push a lot of them to static line. And then some of them didn't get to jump, and then, you know, still hadn't gotten to jump when the drop zone went under, so the club covered them to go to Skydive Chicago. That's how I started going to Skydive Chicago, because we had, I mean, we had we had 40-some people show up for that first event. You know, 182 drop zone is going to have a hard time with that, right? So, you know, I kind of glanced at Seven Hills, kind of looked a little bit at Sky Knights in East Troy, and just kind of went, you know, I had a hard time trying to get the club to drive over two hours to go down to Skydive Chicago, but um, you know, Randy was encouraging me to do it. A couple other people were as well. So I was like, okay, well, we'll give it a shot, see if it's worth the two-hour drive. So that's actually kind of a fun story because I had learned by that by now, you don't go to a drop zone in the in, in the north in the wintertime without calling first to make sure they're open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so called ahead. I think I talked to, uh, to Jeannie Nelson. And asked if they were going to be open. You know, yeah, the weather looks good. You know, we'll be open. Cool. I'm, I'm bringing some club officers down. We may want to move our club club down here. Yeah, sure. Come on out. See the place. And that was still at the old location of Scottish Chicago shortly before they moved. And uh, so we, we got down there. It's like, okay, this is great. There's space. You know, they've got a twin otter. Not, none of us had ever jumped one before. None of us had ever jumped anything bigger than like the King Year that I jumped. And I jumped some stuff at the boogie. But, you know, as far as regular daily aircraft, 182 and a 206, right? So, you know, none of us had jumped an otter before. I think I only jumped tailgates at the boogie because I could, (laughs) right? And, uh, you know, so Roger took that otter up with the four of us, which Uh, is pretty, yeah. First time I was ever in an otter. That's awesome. It was fantastic. I don't don't know if I've been on it. Oh, I have been in an otter otter with maybe maybe that many people, a handful. So the other fun thing about the otter with four people and no benches in it, you can literally run laps in it, and we did. (laughs) <laughs> you can sure, also use sure wrestling mats as slip and slides. Yeah, that yeah. too. Have you ever been in? Uh, this, did they still have the wrestling mats yep. on the floor back then? Yep. No, have you been in, in a, Chicago's? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, I actually uh, don't mind them as a jumper, as a tandem instructor. I'm not a huge fan of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. It's just it's it's something I can deal with. It's a working skydive. I mm-hmm. don't I, fucking. I honestly don't care that much about a working skydive to what conditions you put me through. The easiest and best way is a certain way, but man, if you're paying me, I'll just do it however I need to get it <laughs> sure, done. Sure. Um, but man, I could imagine the otter just on a steep climb and just <laughs> sliding down those things. Yeah, it was fun. So anyway, we obviously found a home there. They gave us a, they, they really took care of the club and that club went, ran for several years. Um, Whitney Hughes, who now mm-hmm. manages the office in San Marcos, worked there as a manifester after I left. I, didn't, I never knew her while I, was, while I was there, but she remembers that club. So it, it ran for quite a while it was fun that's kind of cool I, I never realized you came from the club background and club mentality mm-hmm. and today you actually get to help promote clubs and you get to help mm-hmm. put clubs together I do so you have a lot of uh, uh of appreciation for what they're doing sure one of the things i see in our sport is people say i can't run a skydiving club at a school because i don't have the experience and i also see people say you can't run a skydiving club at a mm-hmm. school because you don't have the experience not at all true. There Thank are all you. different levels of clubs. And, you know, they can go from what we, basically what we did, which was pretty active, but we didn't have gear, you know, we didn't, we weren't fielding a competitive team or anything like that. We were just basically saying, hey, we're going over here to jump. Do you need a ride? Do you want to rate? You know, kind of thing. So, you know, we had just little membership cards, you know, for, for them to get the club rate. And basically what Roger did for us, you know, is uh, he gave us the uh, the lowest package price on all the training jumps that you could get without actually having to prepay the whole package. So it'd be like uh, in Houston getting our A in a week without having to pay for it up front. If, I, if that makes sense. 
And yeah. it was a great, it was a it was a great deal. And you know, but there are clubs, you know, that that feel that that have you know number of rigs that rent the rigs. You know, that have their own instructors that teach teach on campus that uh, send teams to nat- the collegiate nationals every year. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a pretty big continuum of what what te- what clubs can be. And of course. You know, there's a lot of it depends on how what you want out of the university, how much trouble you're going to have. If you're really just doing basically a social club and coordinating rides, you can kind of get away with doing whatever you want. I mean, it's not that hard to do. Now, if you want to start saying, well, we're a club sport and maybe you're trying to get university vans to go down to the drop zone for the weekend and train your team or whatever, then you're going to start getting a lot running more into the risk management type stuff. But really, it's just about talking to the right people at the university if you have any trouble. Right. And yeah. the USPA has some really good resources for that as well. And the, they've had they've run some articles in parachutists. They've got um, uh, one of the Ohio universities actually has skydiving classes. You can you, know, you don't mm-hmm. have to jump to pass, but you have to learn about the sport. So it's kind of fun. Obviously it w- elective. It would be cool. I think it's important when these young jumpers, w- whether they're the jumpers trying to start a skydiving club at their college or whether you're the support staff at your drop zone, it's not important that the club members have good experience. It's important that they recognize good experience and mm-hmm. that they have good leadership skills. Sure. You can motivate people. You can get people to do things together. You can help people coordinate. You're a facilitator, and you know who to ask. Don't make right. up the answers. Just like, hey, man, I know it's Skydive Spaceland. I can hit up Christy West, and she's going to get me all figured out and plug me in with whoever we need. Or mm-hmm. in the case of uh, the Nelsons, they, man, they... I love the idea of hooking young college jumpers on skydiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they can't afford it. Unfortunately, they're not going to be around often in their young years. But I think so many of us try to find our our identity at that age. Mm-hmm. And if we can latch on to skydiving at that point, man, we, we've said the word community time and time again. We have a friend for life. We're bringing jumpers in at that young age, and we get to develop and, and know them for years. Right. I mean, it's hard for me to, to really say this, but I've known you for 18 years now. 03, I believe, is the first time we ran into each other. All right. Yeah, 18 years. 03, right, is when you showed up to Greensburg. Sure. I believe believe (laughs) so, because I believe Valerie and I just started dating somewhere around the same time frame, Mm -hmm. uh, right after... Randy showed up, and mm-hmm. I, I don't remember you as well as I remember Randy. Sure. Well, and I was only out there for training with that four-way team for that one summer. Yeah, so. and I only remembered Randy because he accused me of doing something silly. It was not that <laughs> we were super great after our conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I actually uh, don't even, uh, I, I say I don't even re- really remember you there. I moved here at the end of 05, and I remember being out in the tandem area and looking at this gal here and there walking across the way going like, Man, that girl sure looks familiar. Oh, with this, mm-hmm. it's skydiving, whatever. Man, no, she really looks familiar. Like, no, nah, whatever. You see a million faces. Man, that girl, she's staring at me funny. And I don't know if you remember <laughs> yes, that moment we were staring at each other through a window. Figured it out. I was like, ah, I got it. I do know her. Oh, <laughs> and that's that's how uh, much in passing we knew each other in 03. Right. But man, it's, it's so hard to believe so much time has passed. So Roger helped you guys out and gals out with, mm-hmm. with getting this club going. Yep. Um, what was the next evolution for your skydiving? The club really kind of got you, I would say, into organized skydiving. Kind of. I mean, I wouldn't say I was organizing a lot of jumps at, at for no. the club because mostly what we're doing is just getting getting people together as students, getting them into the program, giving them rides. You know, we and Chicago was is one of those drop zones. Um, unlike Houston, we're so close to town that everybody can just go home and you know for the evening or whatever. People camp out a little, but the Chicago campground is a whole different animal. You know, everybody goes out for the weekend because you're 80 miles from anywhere, <clears throat> pretty much 80 miles from Chicago at, at that drop zone. And they have a fantastic campground. You know, they've now got two shower houses and the pond, two couple of ponds, a swoop pond and the swimming pond. It used to be the same thing. 
Um, but uh, it's just it's a great place to to just go and hang out for the whole weekend. And the jumping that I was doing at that time was. I was I kind of I got in got involved with the with Baglanders pretty pretty early, which is mostly a little bit older crowd doing doing bigger RW organized stuff, right? Mm-hmm. There was some free flying, but it was mostly around the fringes, so it was all pretty much all belly flying at that time and working on getting doing bigger and bigger jumps. And I think one of the one of the ones that I was really happy with, I remember, was just a you know because we just throw together twenty ways at the drop of a hat because that's what everybody was doing. You had the talent. It was a very it was a group that was very supportive of people coming up with you know growing their skills. You know, we had <clears throat> we had times we had we'd have five five belly organizers on site at any given time because I ended up being one of them. <coughs> Excuse me, my turn. And um, <laughs> you know, so but we had kind of kind of a hierarchy of organizers, if you will, which wasn't necessarily based on just the skill of the organizers or whatnot. But you had the person who organized the bit the really the much bigger ways. You know, your TJ, your TJ Hine, your Max Major. And, you know, stepping down there, we had, we had Scott Huminski, we had, we had Brent, we had Brian, we had me, we had, you know, a couple other people that cycled through there, but, you know, they might start with me because I was the newest organizer. So I'd get your, you know, 20, 30, 40 jumps, put them in smaller groups. It was really kind of like the mentor program is that we have now, except at the time, you know, financially speaking, you still had to organize a certain number of slots in order to get your slot covered. You know, they didn't want to just give you an, an organizer slot and have you go do three or four ways with your friends. I'm organizing just because you're getting a free slot. At the time, it was putting a number of number of butts in the seats, if you will. Absolutely. You also so, was uh, organizing where the mentor program gives a little bit more back, the camera, the feedback. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And so this was, it was really kind of what I, the, the groups that I ended up taking a lot were kind of like the mentor program, but there wasn't an official mentor program. Mm-hmm. So at the time, the rule was that you had to organize, um, I think it was, it was either 40 or 50 slots in a day, you know, those uh, people other than you to, in order to get your slot covered. And if you didn't, then Manifest went through and charged you for those jumps. So that was their way of keeping the program, for, the organizing program from being abused. I, lo- I like <coughs> that. I've, it's, it's always been hard in my brain of how mm-hmm. to oversee an organizer's program because mm-hmm. you could say a minimum of this many slots. You could say an average of this many slots per jump, uh, per jump but just giving me a guaranteed number of butts in a plane a day. I like that process. That makes I mean, a lot it of sense. Make, it makes sense if you've got people that are experienced enough to do it. But sure. let's look at, you know, the group of people that are doing like the mentor program, which is mostly nah. what I ended up with. You're never going to do it, right? Because you can't put them in anything bigger than a four-way, and sometimes even that's a stretch. Sure. And if they're packing for themselves, they're going to take 40 minutes, you know, when you land, and then you got to do a good debrief. And so you're just not going to do it. So there were there were a number of days that, like, I loved what I was doing. There was a day I, I was organizing, packing for myself, and I did 12 jumps at this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it's a busy day. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when you go in to do a fun jump the next day, and then, you know, they say, well, you don't have any money. Well, what do you mean? Well, you paid for those jumps yesterday. I'm like, oh, you to make your 50 or what 40 or whatever it is. Like, I, I totally understand what they're doing, but this is... That's actually kind of where I started thinking about stuff like the mentor program that we have here in Houston. That was a big part of why what what I wanted us to do, what I thought we needed at the time at Chicago, but it just wasn't a program that existed yet. Mm-hmm. And they they had one starting a, a little bit later, but anyway. So, <laughs> of course, you you know all about the mentor program, and I, and I love I really love how much you and Valerie have taken it over and done a really really good job with it. It's something that I think was super important to helping people stay in the sport and transition it's you know it's a tough spot when you get out of aff and then you're you know licensed licensed to learn but what do you do now yeah and i think How the mentor program learn? is so good for that I'm, I'm so glad we've been able to grow that and make it here and i will thank you on valerie's behalf because i will clearly say i don't know what's going on um and, and i mean that respectfully valerie uh, and i took reins for the mentor program and i'm i like to describe myself as the ceo i'm in charge but i don't know what's going on 
<laughs> is that a pretty? That's a good description of a CEO. Um, no, Valerie. Sometimes. Valerie runs a program. She mm-hmm. runs a range. She does everything. Um, when it comes to financial uh, thought processes and financial mm-hmm. questions, she comes to me because I'll, I'll either speak with uh, the Boyds or have the answer already mm-hmm. from the Boyds. So I, I think of the finance side of it. Mm-hmm. I try to track the money because, I mean, God, Steve Boyd gives us money to jump out of airplanes. We should be respectful of that and, mm-hmm. and, and make something of it. We should grow our community better of it. And Valerie does a tremendous job. Yeah, and so does. does Kevin Craig and all those mm-hmm. other mentors, Dustin DeTuro. They're, they're those guys and gals who run that program are just, they're the future of our sport and they yep. cultivate the future of our sport. So thank yep. them. I thank them tremendously. And thank you yep. for saying that. But we still have to do dinner soon. We do. <laughs> I still owe about. you dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, no, we, we won't turn that down. It's always fun to get together <laughs> for dinner. Um, sure. Speakeasy? Can. But yeah, they're still open. So, um, yeah. oh yeah. Uh, anyways, Man, I lost track. Uh, when did you get into, so we kind of got into, when, when I said it was your first kind of taste at organizing, mm-hmm. just structuring people to skydive, not necessarily putting on jumps. Sure. But the club was, both, yeah, but yeah. The, the club was your first chance of really kind of putting together cohesive units. Mm-hmm. When did you get into the team environment? So I started doing, let me, let me think about this for a second. My first nationals was 2000. And that year I trained with a four-way team. That was my first four-way team, STL4. And that was also the year that I blew up my shoulder. <coughs> STL4? Yes. What's STL? And bring that mic closer to your face. Sorry. No, no worries. I, I, I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> STL4, which at the time, so we also had STL10 on the drop zone, which was Roger's 10-way team. And it was kind of one of those, there, you know, there's always a little bit of this in the sport between this drop zone or that drop zone or that person or yeah. East Coast and West Coast organizers or whatever. And it's, it's usually in, in good fun, but this, the, that was a Roger thing and that was spread the love. Yep. As so, soon as you said Roger, I was like, I know exactly, you know exactly where, where this, this is going. going. Yeah, I could not figure it out. I'm like, STL, were you a St. Louis now? Where did you go? Yeah. So STL4, how many jumps did you have at that point? Maybe, uh, maybe 500, 600, something like that. I actually uh, did the AFF course that year as well, got my rating, and uh, blew up my shoulder the following weekend. On an AFF jump? Nope. On a four-way jump? Yep. <laughs> it is so crazy how actually, common... Actually, first blew it up on a 12-way, 12 or 14-way jump. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be a women's... It was a day practice jump for what was supposed to be a women's night state record, which, and I think it was a 14-way. But it was just one of those where there was a lot of pop, kind of popcorning within the formation. A lot of it was waving around a lot. And right before breakoff, this side went up and kind of back, you know, kind of surged yeah. out and, and popped that shoulder. So I tracked out with it dislocated and managed to pull, which was kind of funny. Everybody said, "Oh, you went to reserve." I'm like, "No, nah, I gave it a shot." <laughs> so, I gave it a shot. And it hurt like a motherfucker. Well, it, yeah, because it doesn't work right. You know, yeah. when you dislocate a shoulder, your arm doesn't work right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it just all the geometry is wrong. <laughs> so what I did is I kind of reached out and grabbed, you know, grabbed my hand. And I just basically wrist pulled out to here, grabbed it further down, pulled it a little further, went last chance, you know, so I, let, I just let it go right here. Because, I mean, obviously, I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't. You just kind of fed it shoulder. out. Yeah, I just fed it out. And well, so then uh, on the opening shock, I actually put my shoulder back in. <laughs> so that was great, you know. <laughs> so I'm looking up at the canopy, like, I don't know what just happened to me, but I think I'm okay, you know. So I flew, you know, landed, went and, you know, went and got it checked out. They x rayed it and, you know, said, no, we don't see any bone chips or anything. And, then I found a, a doctor who went the next couple of days when I went back back up to Madison, who was not suited for talking to a skydivers. But anyway, you know, the, the doctor always is more conservative than you are. Right. So he said, well, yeah, I said, when can I jump again? He said, well, you know, do some PT, <coughs> do some swimming or whatever it is. And if you feel like you can, then do it because he didn't really know what anything anything was. Mm-hmm. He did give me a big like one of those ace bandages is about this thick. Yeah. 
the one I gave Blake, by the way, when he hurt his leg. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and they tried to make sort of a, a support for the shoulder uh, to by wrapping it around the arm and then around the chest a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, try to provide a little bit of resistance to this kind of motion, right? And to be fair, when I blew up my shoulder, I, I, blew, I trashed that shoulder playing softball in high school and college. So it was kind of just a matter of time. When it went out, it shouldn't have. But it just finally caught up with me, right? It matters how. Yeah. So then the second jump, so it dislocated two jumps in a row. Um, the, the one, and then I took the two, the couple of weeks off to, you know, swim and lift and stuff. And then, uh, I was, it was, it was on a four way jump the second time I was reaching forward on block 17. I was a hopper at the time. So I was just reaching forward to take grips and it went out again. And so the team of course had been joking. Alex Pincus was on that team at the time. Um, Matt Norris, Josh Glazoff and, uh, Woody was, on I never video. think you're old until you tell me the people you're friends with. <laughs> I'm going to stop telling you who I'm friends with. Randy Connell, Alex <laughs> Pincus. Are we going back to the declaration? Benjamin Franklin? <laughs> Hope not. <laughs> rabbit. Wait a minute. Hi, Rabbit. <laughs> Hi, Rabbit. Uh, so yep. Alex Pincus was on that team. Yep. You, so, But the team, they've been joking. We're like, ah, you know, if your shoulder goes out again, we'll pull for you. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> you know, so now my shoulder's out in free fall. And I, fe- and I felt like, so I was still more or less on my belly kind of doing this sort of thing. Had a hold of my arm like this, and I felt like if I could just tug it the right direction, it would go back in. But I wasn't quite sure what direction that was. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'd be because crying. Because it, it was pretty high, right? You know, I mean, it was still probably 9,000 feet or something. I'd be crying. I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I was so bad. <laughs> it's like, not again. So, you know, tried tried that for a minute. Gave up. You know, kind of just, this is this is basically a mantis flying position anyway. Sure. You know, flew over to, flew over to Matt as, you know, one of the AFF instructors and just, you know, stuck a handle at him and it's just and then has to start cussing so i've got by this point i've got a teammate on either side you know what well, let's see let me think josh wasn't an aff instructor i don't think so i don't remember where alex was at that moment but uh, woody was on video so they were kind of circulating around so they've, they've just both got a hold of me and they're they're waiting until you know reasonable altitude so i don't have to spend that much time under canopy i guess they were considerate but it's funny because i mean i still have that video it's on vhs back to the old part <laughs> but you can you can see my uh my grippers on my arms you know they're sitting like this because that shoulder being out, because they dislocated yeah. down and forward like they usually do. And, you know, when they pull, it's like, well, cool. When they pull, hope, when he pulls for me, hopefully it'll go back in. Well, it didn't. So now you know, I'm sitting there with a shoulder that doesn't work, looking at my toggles, and my risers have never looked so long ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm looking up there going, hmm, Sure. You know, do I do the one hand thing? I thought, well, let's let's just see how far I can get. And I actually could get far enough up to reach the toggles. I couldn't get all the way straight with the shoulder, but I could get up to about here, and it was enough to reach them. So then, cool. So I unstarted my toggles, looked at what range I had. Then I couldn't get it back down. So I flew, <laughs> I flew everything like this because that was as far as I could get the hand down. Luckily, I was on a stiletto with a short control range, so that actually worked out fine. Landed <laughs> on my feet, no problem. <laughs> but... Anyway, so that was my fir- that was my first team. Um, I spent several weeks, you know, again swimming, lifting, you know, trying trying to figure out what it would take to get back jumping again, right? And one of the things that I did is I made up a shoulder brace. Mark Hewitt and I made up a shoulder brace. Mark was our coach that year, and um, Mark was great. If he's, I, I know he's not listening, but uh, he's a rigger. And so we were talking about the geometry and what I, what kind of stop motion I needed to do. We ended up sitting down in Alex's basement one night and made a, made a shoulder brace, just making stuff up. He swore that he could drink any amount of tequila and still sew a straight line, and I made him prove it. But in, in the end, I came out with a shoulder brace that absolutely kept my shoulder from dislocating. Was it the was sewing in a straight line? It was. He proved his least, point. At least I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was drunk, too. I didn't know. <laughs> 
but that shoulder brace worked really well. I mean, it was restrictive. I couldn't, I couldn't fully extend this mm-hmm. way. Um, it, I couldn't fully open up my shoulders, this, my elbows this way, which was the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after, a few, after several weeks of, you know, PT and then made, made that up and gave it a shot. So I did one jump back with the team and it was obvious I was more movement restricted. Okay. But I could do it. Right. So I'm like, I'll, I'm all happy about it. And I'm like, okay, got some work to do, but this is fine. And um, I sat down to have a snack with one of my teammates because we, I guess it was weather and we didn't get started till later in the day. So we'd only done the one jump and, and this wasn't Alex, but he just looked at me and said, well, you know, you can't do this. I went, I said, no, I don't know. I can't do this. I've had one jump to try. Right. And so I walked straight from there over to the 10 way debrief and started stalking the 10 way debrief. And I ended up with a slot on the 10-way team. So my first Nationals team was 10-way. <laughs> well, since I can't do this, I'll go do that instead. You still wear a shoulder brace to, to, uh, to this day, don't you? No. You don't? I haven't for a long time. I thought I've seen you wear one over the last so many years. May No. So many people with shoulder braces yeah. on, it's hard to know the difference. Yeah, for is. sure. No, I, I, I put that thing away um, a long time ago. Gave it to somebody, actually. Half so. the DZ needs it, so. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I'm at a point where I just won't skydive without my shoulder brace. I've, I've got some issues. It, it's all mm-hmm. tolerable. It's just smart maintenance in my case to to, to wear it. Sure. Yeah, when I had my shoulder dislocated, I was told, like, your shoulder might be dislocated. Mm-hmm. People were slightly concerned about me. And so I finished doing what I was doing. I was <laughs> coaching a, some tandem stuff. And mm-hmm. an hour and a half later, I let my friend take me to the ER and when we got to the ER glass doors, I could see how low one shoulder was compared yeah. to the other. I'm like, why didn't you show me a picture of me, bro? I would have got like, <laughs> you, it, you talk about yeah. the grippers being off. Yeah. Two if different you, planes. If you went through a few hours before you, you went and got it put back in, props to you. I was I was a, a real angry human by the time they finally quit x-raying me and put my shoulder back they in. They put me to sleep. It hurt. Yeah. I mean, it, it hurts progressively worse. It just ramps up because everything yeah. swells up and gets mad. Nick wishes he was my doctor because they just straight put me to sleep. They're like, you're <laughs> done. Good, good, bit. good night. Goodbye. Sure. <laughs> Stop laughing, Nick. It's not funny. <laughs> I'm not laughing. Yes, you are. <laughs> um, so With you, not at you. You, you through the shoulder injury, go from four-way to ten-way suddenly. Mm-hmm. And, and STL-10. What and level? I I, I've got a great video of STL ten that I've been that I've been throwing up here. By the way, oh man, I wish. <laughs> is that the one? Is that the one I ripped off? The of VHS digital flashback four yeah. way team there number one. Yep. Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> man, the interwebs. I There's a great takeoff shot in that four way video. By the way, I saw the videographer that. Videographer yeah. shadow. Yeah, it's great. We took off with the door open. I so hate social media sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's these things that I love it for. Mm-hmm. Um, recently talked to an old friend uh, because of Facebook. I don't think you ever knew Dave Esterwood down in Greensburg, but. Uh, Excuse me. He uh, just Facebook is such a, a great tool. So I just hide and unfollow all my friends who put stupid stuff and my friends who put dogs, cats, cars and skydiving stuff. I follow. There you go. Yeah. Your kids. I can. I probably hide you if you post your kids because I don't like kids. <laughs> Other than that. No. I you just pa- have the furry four footed kind. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't wait to share that painting of mm-hmm. my pets. Oh, it's going to be so cool to see. Um. Ten way. What level ten way team was ten uh, was STL? Well, I guess there's only one class for ten way speed star. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. So just ten way open. Same same for same as sixteen way. Yeah. And, and from the ten way open, the ten way uh, speed star team. What was next? I did ten way for several years. I mean, those those people were you know friends and friends and family. I mean, for sure, and not literally family, but you know became family. So I did I did ten way for several years. I don't I don't remember exactly how many years. Um, but it was it was just what we did, you know, and it was pr- it was a lot of us were staff. 
So you know, we we would get up in the mornings <clears throat> and do do uh, at least two back to backs, and then everybody would go work all day. So pretty good for the logbook, right? Sure. Um, but you know, just you'd, you'd have four four or six jumps in before like nine eight thirty nine o'clock, and we were wheels up at seven every day. So it it was it was just fun, you know. It was it was just it was just a lot of fun, and you know, people would say, well, you know, you're just doing the one point. Why do you want to do that over and over? Why do you want to do anything over and over? You want to get better at it. Right. And so um, and Roger Rogers thing at the time, Tenway was more about, well, who's 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 the badass who gets out last and, and you know, and gets there fast. And it still is. But they also have to have a, a good base that can put things on the right heading that makes it most most efficient for everybody to get there fast. Cause it's all about who every the, the floaters and the divers getting in there at the same time. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't just put the base down at the bottom and just make the divers do all the work. You know, you put it I've in seen the away. Yeah. He's exactly. got no lift. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <here> we go. <laughs> but that's actually um, how I ended up on the team is because Roger was kind of going through this. Well, what we need is a, is a base that can, that can build quicker and we need people who have like four way exit and start turning points experience, which yeah. is how I ended up on that team. Even though I'd only done a four way team for part of one year. What an evolutionary person when it comes mm-hmm. to sport. I mean, there's so yep. much that Roger did to help evolve the sport. He, yep. Not single-handedly, not by himself, but absolutely a huge pioneer. Freak, fl- The Freak Brothers yep. and Freak Flying. Mm-hmm. If you guys don't know anything about uh, the Freak Brothers and Freak Flying, Google, see if you can find Roger Nelson Freak Flying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really a large, the largest roots of... Uh, Free flying. Yep. A lot of people will uh, attribute Olaf's, Olaf Zipsper, Zipser uh, as being the father of modern free flying. Mm-hmm. A lot of people actually say he's the father of free flying, but he will even say modern free flying because they recognize Roger and the Freak Brothers yep. early on. Um, student programs, but even that, he's like thinking, man, we got to take four way and implement it into this, or at least that skill set. Yep. Man, I've always enjoyed 10 way uh, speed start. I've never competed in 10 way speed start, but it's always been. The funnest teams and the funnest event at nationals. Yep, it's it's one of my favorite to watch. It's fun because you know almost nobody <laughs> trains it, and that's and that's why kind of why we did it in a way. You know, Roger Roger always used to say this is a one event where you can go up against the best in the world and you can actually win, and we did. Yeah, I mean, we we beat <clears> their speed. Yeah, I mean, they're a pickup team. They're not training it. But they're but they're amazingly good skydivers. But if you train it, if that's if that's what you're doing day in day out, and you're consistently building ten second formations. There's not too many people who can who can, who can beat that yeah. untrained. You know, there's just you don't have the consistency. Like, yeah, you might have a smoking hot round, and then somebody nails a door, <laughs> and, and you know who knows how it takes 18 seconds to get there. Yeah, it blows everything apart from there. Yeah, I've always liked the uh, a. It's fun because not a lot of people train it, so people mm-hmm. tend to have more fun with it. it mm-hmm. It's it's a, a traditional uh, uh, discipline, mm-hmm. but also people make that point of like, well, I mean, you get one point and you're done. What do you do after that? play yeah now, some now super you cool can. shit there the, the first few years i did 10 way you weren't allowed to do anything after that point they would consider it practice for another event it was the last fs event but whatever that's the way it was <laughs> in the rules that's stupid <laughs> but but you know then when they when they made the rule that they didn't they didn't care anymore what you did afterwards that opened the door to the judge's choice award and you know all the fun stuff that you see now it's, it just made it just made it a whole lot more so fun. i don't think a lot of people know what we're talking about here mm-hmm. and if you ever uh, if you don't already when nationals comes along uspa nationals Omniscore, S-K-O-R-E, Omniscore.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, check them out, and they post all the, the scores and whatnot, but there's mm-hmm. clickable links on the videos on each yep. round, and teams, not all teams, but a lot of your teams get together, and after they build the first point, they do something silly with a the formation, mm-hmm. 
whether it's make a, a magic carpet flying around, mm-hmm. um, whether it's making a set of pins. I think the Golden Knights did this one and one skydiver flying at the rest of them, breaking apart. There's so many good ones. And you actually probably want to search YouTube for like 10 way compilations because YouTube or because Omniscore, sorry, will stop on the uh, on the scoring. So they'll stop on the final. I've actually budget. watched Omniscore and that's actually I've, I, I don't think they trim them right away. Maybe they archive them trimmed. Okay, that's, but, that's maybe what I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah, because nationals, I'm rarely ever at nationals. So mm-hmm. when nationals is going on, I usually have Omniscore yep. up on my screen and I'm clicking on like, let me mm-hmm. see. One of my favorites, and <clears throat> I can't, I think it was the Knights who did this one as well. The they try, took the tryout dive? The, uh, no, the, the baseball, the baseball yep. bat. Yep. Sounds Where, too. yeah, a two way pen was a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Scott ever came flying at. Oh my God. It's just yeah. so crazy the stuff they were doing. Yeah. Where do you talk about the tryout dive? So the night, I'm pretty sure it was the Knights did, uh, did a tryout dive where they basically built um, a nine way uh, donut. Like a, I think that well, must have been a left hand donut. And this, and one Skydiver was trying to get in, you know, so he'd, he'd go and he'd try to get in with slots. Somebody go, go back that way. And he just kept going and trying to, you know, almost like musical cheers. But, and then finally he dumped somebody out and took their slot. <laughs> I do remember this now, <laughs> man. It's, uh, they, they do some fun stuff. The Golden mm-hmm. Knights yeah. definitely have a good time of it all. Yep. And there was, uh, there was one with, where they were, uh, I think, took five-way diamonds yes. or something. Or, yeah, yeah. So there's some really good stuff. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's so cool. It's so amazing. You did several years of 10-way with STL 10. Yep. What was the next evolution for competitive skydiving for you? So um, I, I, I'd been doing, I was doing some intermediate four-way teams in there as well. And that, w- that was all fun. I, I really enjoyed that a lot and a few different people. Um, but uh, I also ended up doing 16-way, which was kind of kind of fun. I, uh, Jack Burke invited me down here for a duet around Robin. It was the first time I'd been to Houston. Um, wintertime, whatever year that was. I guess it was 2005, because I think the first year I was on the team was 06. <clears throat> so I got here kind of late on a Friday. You know, he picked me up, ran me out to the drop zone to waver and do all that stuff. And you know, this is the, the round Robin that he would do for anybody who's not familiar with it, which is probably most of you. Um, he basically, Jack's a spreadsheet guy. He's a planner. And so he'd take everybody that's agreed to come out of this group, which is mostly mostly former Deguayo, but also some prospects, which is, I guess is where I fell. But I met Jack um, when he, he and Deguayo were doing a training camp in uh, Chicago in 98, the, the summer that I was packing there. And so they spent a week out doing uh, eight way and I think I think eight way and sixteen way, but so that's where I got to know them. So I kept running them in, into them in nationals. They kept saying, "Yeah, you got to come to Houston sometime." You know, just stayed friends. It was fun. You know, we played lots and lots of hacky sack on Weatherhold. You know that kind of stuff. And um, <coughs> when I finally made it out, made it out here for that, it was just it was it was a lot of fun. You know, he networks where he would do a group. Everybody in the group ended up jumping with everybody else in that whole event at some point. And at some point, you were organizing a jump of whatever size. You know, it was different groups, different sizes. I went. Kind of sounds like a recipe for semi disaster, but you know, sounds like fun. You know, meet a lot of people. And by the end of it, I went, man. Houston's great. All those skydives worked, and they were—they were all different sizes, all different organizers every time. Like, there's a lot of talent here. This is great, and so I was started started doing sixteen way, and um, but I, I picked up somebody's slot the, ne- the following year after somebody got hurt. But at the end of, end of that weekend, I told Jack, I said, "Hey, man, that was a lot of fun." But you know, we had done a little four way that when I first got here, just to see the drop zone. It was me and uh, Tom Jenkins and Jack and Sherry Burke. Oh man! And it was so it was, we had no time to plan anything. And we were like we're riding right on the line of sunset. I, I threw my jumpsuit on. I put my shoes on. I stood at the counter signing my waiver. They were tying my shoes. I mean that's how tight we were on time, yes. right? Yeah. You know, so we just got up there and did something a little spinny thing. But that's kind of a, well, always what I've enjoyed even even more than the bigger stuff is the small stuff where you get to you know really really go fast and, and turn some points. 
And um, so at the end of the weekend, I said, hey, that was that was a lot of fun. You know, the, the whole round robin thing was great. I said, you guys ever want to do four-way, let me know. And I was kind of saying it in the sense of, I had a really great time, thank you. You know, not necessarily really trying to commit myself to a four-way team. And he comes back with, yeah, sure, he thinks it's a good idea. We'll find a fourth. We'll let you know. And I went, oh, okay, <laughs> that's cool. Oh, crap. I think I just committed myself to training in Texas next year. <laughs> and I didn't even mean to. But, oh, it's uh, just being nice. <laughs> but we picked up uh, Alex, Alex Fisher, who I didn't even know. I'd never even met the guy. Turned out to be fantastic. I mean, it's like a brother. He was, he was great. But Trying to remember that who That was Alex my first Fisher advanced was. class team. Um, I can't remember. He got out of the sport shortly thereafter because he had, an, I think, a second kid and just ended up kind of, you know, leaving the sport to go yeah. to the family thing. But he was great. I'm positive October, by the way, 05 is when you did that round robin mm -hmm. because you showed up right after I showed up and it was like my first, second, third weekend here and it was October. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So I only happened to know when you came to Houston because we were both like, well, no, I'm not normally here either. Well, you're in my <laughs> Like I saw you, like you're from India. Like what are we doing here? And then they had what I um, committed the major faux pas of calling the fast tracks otter. <laughs> yeah and uh, oops i didn't know that was a space lander plane i just saw it i want to say it was mike fox that we had i, I think that's right yeah because <laughs> uh we it's uh, you you know this but not everybody knows this i was in indiana at the time working that's where you and i had met at the drop zone and uh we leased an otter from spaceland uh fast tracks was a four-way team training at the time at rdz and steve gave spaceland or greensburg a pretty decent rate but if we could fly more time, we would get a better rate. Well, that's a good deal. So Fast Tracks and the Drop Zone teamed up together to rent the plane together. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that summer, Steve said, hey, I want a guy who's multi-rated to come work for me for the winter. Do you know any? And, man, he's and tried to get rid history. of me a couple times, a poor guy. <laughs> he stuck with me, man. So uh, the worst part, Nick got stuck with all of us. So congratulations, Nick. It's your problem now. Happy to have you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's because that's I come with gifts. I always come bearing gifts. That's true. <laughs> I'm like his Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so you do a four-way team with Jack and Sherry. Mm -hmm. and Alex, Man, yeah. I, it's so... That was my first advanced class team. It's so sad to uh, to see. I, I, Deguayo's done. It's mm -hmm. got to be at this point. I think he's retired. I do, mm -hmm. I've never heard an official term. Have you? I, I have not. I mean, I know last year was definitely, a, <clears> you know, Goy has gone through a lot of evolution over time. There was eight-way. There was 16-way. There was, you know, training, you know, five big camps a year. It stepped down at some point to let's try to just do three camps a year because not everybody can do the five. But the people that you want that are, that are current and jumping a lot, you know, they have other, those other commitments, you know, so it's a double-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're more current. They're probably more skilled but they're also less available. So back to down to three camps, and that was kind of a sweet spot for a little bit, and um, not this past year, obviously, because there was no nationals, but the one before um, went to just trying to do it as a pickup team. And that, I think, it, it didn't work very well in the sense that, you know, most for the most, most part, people were still jumping and doing, you know, four, eight-way or, or whatever they were doing, but just we hadn't trained together in so long, and we were jumping out of the casas which is the first time I'd been out of a tailgate that I know of, at least. Yeah. Um, so the exit was very different and, you know, kind of, well, we know how to get out of one of these. Yeah, we kind of do, but we don't necessarily know how to do it as well as a team that was training out of it. And let's know, be together. real. One of DeGueo's strengths was exits. Yep. Uh, well, exits and Jack's engineering. Right. I mean, not no joke to either one of those statements. Super right. strong statement. I'm yep. watching these 16-way exits right now. 
Dude, you've been you, in the you, otter, You guys right? all, all piled up in the door in this crazy way. Did you? Is this the one that shot both from inside and outside? Yeah. In slow-mo? Deguayo 17, September of 2013. My favorite thing ah. about that is I was filling Lisa's slot at that at that moment, um, and just getting to launch with your feet on the on the far wall of the otter. Yeah, that's exactly. That, right you're, you're describing exactly what we're watching right now. <laughs> it's <is laughs> <That is> so <laughs> crazy <laughs> that you literally you can see your feet push off the wall and never touch anything else. Yep. And well, so and I've been in front of that slot a number of times, and it's funny because you know you there's there's always a lot of we need more push, we need more push from the back, and the reason that you do that is because you know everybody's bound up in there with all those grips, and if they don't push, but they're holding, you just kind of you, you, that's when people hit shins. Yeah, you know? and it needs to launch out, it needs to fly. So it's a lot of way the way team members wear shin guards in the inside. You were one of them. Not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I watched I watched people get hurt, <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, so when I was in that slot, you know, like, well, we always need more push here. So you even just in the mock-up, like, put a lot in. It's like, is that enough? good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't so. tell Christy you need a lot of something because there's one thing that I will never accuse you of doing, and that's half-assing something. If you ask Christy to do something, she is fucking committed to doing that thing. Zero doubt about it. Um, we all get to work together regularly, and I don't think anybody in our workplace would disagree that you don't half-ass stuff. So... Thank you. Yeah. Hey, push us out of the airplane, Christy. Fuck yeah. <laughs> that was your answer. How far? Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, I've seen a lot of 16-way teams exit, and I've never mm-hmm. watched anybody do anything consistently like DeGueo does. Mm-hmm. Exiting is an important yep. part of, of, of the training camp, as you were talking about. You guys knew how to exit a CASA, but not as DeGueo knows how to exit a, right. a, a, a cotter. cotter. A cotter. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. An otter. I swear it's just water. I swear to God. Um <laughs> So yeah, it, it's it is. It's sad to see because um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe the Guayo was the longest uh, yep. structured team. Yep, uh, thirty years. Jack's there father, was a plaque for that. The last John, year. right? Mm-hmm. His dad uh, started the team. I I believe so. Yeah. Um, I'm positive. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty pretty positive. I could be wrong yeah. as well. I mean, I'm not you know, like old school Texas. I didn't get here till for the first time till '06. Didn't move here till 2010. So. Yeah. I'm not old school Texas, but uh, Bob Doherty, you know the name, mm-hmm. uh, owns Scott F. Greensburg, who is old school Dallas jumper. And uh, I was told to introduce myself to Jack Burke with some stories from his childhood from Bob Doherty. Um, I only uh, shared one or two of them to make Jack's acquaintance because mm-hmm. Bob's stories were just like, no, I'm not going to. No, that's I fucking ridiculous. I was about to say, bro. if their childhood, maybe they weren't too raunchy. With, um, but yeah, with Bob? Yeah, there was, there's borders there. There's for <laughs> sure 100% borders there. Um, so I, I definitely used it as a good end to say, hey, are you Jack Burke? Mm-hmm. Bob Doherty said to say hello and remind you of this. This is who I am. And it was a great end. Yeah. Um, I think the rest of what Bob told me might have got me punched by Jack Burke. <laughs> So, Good. <laughs> so uh, now, Christy, can you please tell me about this Deguayo photo where you're all holding yes. rifles? Please? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they all belong to somebody on the team. I think that's uh, Rich Delgado dual wielding. He's got a pistol in one hand and a shotgun <laughs> in the other hand. God bless Texas. Well, there were some people we couldn't tag in that photo. <laughs> I, uh, I, I can, e- I think I can easily answer this. Uh, first of all, Spaceland, we actually uh, don't encourage people to shoot guns at the drop zone anymore. Just too big of a facility, mm-hmm. too big of a property. Back when that picture was mm-hmm. taken, it was a lot uh, yep. more laid back. And on um, bad weather weekends, Jack and other mm-hmm. people would bring out weapons, and we had a place to shoot. And yep. Deguayo would go out, and uh, if we can't fly as a team, we shoot, we'll as, shoot a as a team. Yep. So, um, it's actually my favorite place to shoot. Yeah, it, it's it's I miss it, but I definitely yeah. understand it's not something we can keep doing. You know, there's been a cow out there the last few weeks breaking <laughs> out from the neighbor's field to the north, leaving <laughs> a bunch of really. Uh, 
patties. exciting presence in the landing area. <laughs> also known as cow patties. So if you go and shoot that cow, I'll be real happy and we'll eat them together. <laughs> I'll make some friends, huh? Man, I, I don't like this idea. Those are really scrawny cows. They're not going to be good eating. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, the, the white ones that I've seen... Uh, that don't don't seem to be the ones getting out. The one that's getting out is this. I think he's a younger cow because he is smaller. But uh, I saw him out on our side of the fence a few weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure he's getting out over on the berm to to the north. But uh, there were two white ones out the other day on our side of the field, and the sheriff uh, must have gotten a call that they were out on 521 because he. I saw the sheriff there as soon as I saw the cows, and he is a lot better at uh, wrangling cows than I am because he got them right back over the fence. <laughs> I so I've not got this man. I missed this. Nick Lot trying to corral. No, he he was there corralling him before. I was going to get on the four wheeler, and he was already on the driveway, chasing him and honking, you know, his horn or siren, whatever. And I went and chatted with him and thanked him for chasing the cows off of our property. And he said, "Yeah, if you if you just scare them, they'll usually jump back over the fence wherever they came out." And after he told me that i looked down where i had seen them jump back over when he was scaring them and there are hoof prints all over the place so i'm just an idiot that doesn't know how to search for cows escaping the fence but he was all over it you nailed it <laughs> i dude i couldn't tell you much about cows I, man what are those cows there for i i just heard that he breeds them i, I don't think he raises them for meat he just they're show cows this is texas i don't know yeah, yeah i definitely don't think he raises them for meat because they don't look like they're meaty cows like i they don't look mal, they don't look malnourished hey, that's that person, that pasture raised grass-fed beef right there let's go get some wagyu we got some wagyu is that kobe is that, that kobe beef we get some veal oh, yeah i'm not sure but i'm gonna eat that Long cow if, nice I, if I if i see him on our side of the property and i have the means to let's name him kobe kobe All that's right. his name that's a cow's well, name is kobe perfect it's gonna make a in bad taste helicopter joke but it's too soon <laughs> uh, hashtag too soon yeah. uh, it's like the helicopter jokes from uh, the convention do you remember oh no um, maybe O2 convention um, the the Bell 412 was taking off and oh I wasn't there but yeah I know yeah um, it, it's uh, Nick have you heard uh, so the, the Bell 412 is a helicopter uh, Rod Tenney is a guy owns and flies a helicopter, and it is the e-ticket ride. It is like fuck skydiving, fuck an airplane ride. There is nothing more fun than taking a ride with Rod Tenney. He 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 takes off, buzzes the corn so bad that he lands with corn all up in the skids of his helicopter. Pitches up, turns, dives down, and mm-hmm. surfs the top of the grass again or the he corn. Does aerobatics again. in a four twelve? Pretty yeah, much. Just, it's super fun. But for anyone yeah. that's just listening, a four twelve looks like a kind of a news helicopter. I call it a Huey. Right. It's a gunship from Vietnam. We actually uh, flew one up in Canada for a hiking trip that I did yeah. at one point. So you put like eight or ten people in it. It's a pretty good size. Yeah, a news helicopter is a good description of it. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, but you could you could picture uh, kind of a uh, a Vietnam version of a helicopter with gu- door gunners on either side spread mm-hmm. open, and you might see that version as well. It's just how I quickly picture it. Sure. G.I. Joe hanging out the door. <laughs> um, my two hours jump out of that out of that helicopter. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I was at Quincy. So the one year I went. They uh they Nikki would take off and buzz the corn right away, and so there was a outline do not be here area, like you can't be here. And a skydiver wanted to video his takeoff. So Rod picks up, tilts his rotors forward, starts moving forward, skydiver pops up to video it and gets chopped up. Not I might try and like it's just the most easy way to say oh, a story. Yeah. Yep. That is awful. Dude, yeah. it's man, I did not think that's how that story was gonna <laughs> end. That's sad. No, man, the convention it it was a uh, it was a brutal place sometimes. 
It was brutal. Sometimes mm-hmm. because of the nakedness. <laughs> <laughs> last one was interesting. Uh, the last one you were at, or you went. Sorry, once? I'm thinking PIA. PIA. Crossing that up in my head. You think about. Uh, I miss nakedness. Oh, you talk about the uh, the Jumper. suicide. Yeah, yeah, man, that was that was rough. That was uh, terrible. Yeah. That was nuts, man. I uh, I'm so glad I missed that. I'm I, I did not. Yeah, I was. I I rarely stay up late for uh, PIA. Uh, go out to dinner with a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, when our dinner's done, we all come back and we go to our rooms and do our thing. We meet together for maybe breakfast the next morning or something. Sure. Um, that night, I was staying up just a little bit later than normal. Hung out just a little bit later with a couple of the buddies, and it's like you know, guys, I just I got to get to bed. I don't like the late scene. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to sleep, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. Because oh my god, that's creepy. Yep. Creepy. A. Um, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Why'd you have to bring that up, man? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> across conventions in my head, and yeah, convention was supposed. Yeah, to man. The uh, PIA symposium is. Uh, Nick and I were talking about this a little bit ago. What's the dates again, Nick? August uh, something. Yeah, August thirtieth, end of August, beginning of September thirtieth yeah. through the third. Yeah. 30th. You. Uh, so Spaceland's actually gone to that some. Yep. A little bit side disclosure, just so people mm-hmm. know when we say this, you're. Uh, Director of Marketing for Spaceland, is that the right title? Is that, that what your business is? That is the title, although it doesn't really encompass I don't what think I it do. does. I don't <laughs> think it does. But, um, yeah. a, a lot of background, a lot of infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes administrative management, yep. beautification. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, uh, Spaceland has gone to the symposium a bit lately. Yep. Um, a lot of the industry is talking about not going or concerned with going or scaling down on going because that is the busiest time of the North American skydiving season. It's, well, and that's why it's always been in February, you know. Yeah. But, you know, COVID and everything else. It's the same kind of discussions are happening in the competitive world as well. The, uh, the D, one, of the, one of the top uh, U.S. teams just pulled out of the DIPC, the Dubai International Parachuting Championships, which is not the world meet. It is a World Cup mm-hmm. type, type thing. Um, but... Um, because of, because of concerns about COVID, and for sure, I think some people are concerned about world meet as well. If if people will go still go to Russia for the world meet in August, it's a huge question. The vertical sequential <laughs> world record what record? Well, well, well. <laughs> well, the the vertical sequential world record just got postponed again. Mm-hmm. Except for this time, they refused to postpone it to a date. They said we'll let you know when we know. Sure. Um. So all these large events really are struggling, and it's uh. Man, it, it's hard for me because I would love to see the symposium happen for various reasons. Um, sure. and, and there are a lot of uh, personal and professional reasons I, I would love to see it happen. But man, it's who's going to show up? That time of year, it's, it definitely is a challenge. And, you know, it's, it's also going to be a challenge just getting a bunch of people together this year. I think, you know, a lot of people are going to be feeling a lot more comfortable with the vaccine. <laughs> I'd like to think that that side of things might rebound a little bit, but but yeah, just just being this is when drop zones are busy is going to make it hard. I I do wonder if they've got any plans to do some some of those sessions a little bit more more remote, you know, Zoom type stuff. So I've heard rumors that there is uh, a a um, online version of the mm-hmm. symposium being considered, cool. but I honestly just don't think that's worth much because it's not worth as much because a lot of a lot of what PIA is about, I think, is is meeting people and making those relationships and the trade show and <coughs> all the all the different things, you know, just coordinating it, between air, aircraft and drop zones and manufacturers and drop zones and you know, it's just. There's a lot of business that gets done that's not in those sessions, and that's the part that you'll miss. It is. It's absolutely. It's I. I've gone to uh, 
the symposium once or twice in my life. I've gone a lot now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I told a buddy like, hey, I've gone. I no longer, one of the reasons I went to the symposium is the examiner meetings were in conjunction with them. So as an examiner, I must go. Well, okay, well, why don't I just go a few days early and do the symposium while I'm at it? Hey, now the examiner meetings are other places besides the symposium. I don't have to go to the symposium anymore. And I actually told uh, Tom Noonan, I think you might mm-hmm. know Tom's name. Yep. I was like, Tom, man, I'm just thinking about not going anymore, man. It, it's it's such a huge trip. It's this, it's that. It goes DJ, the networking, the business side of it, the, the, the parts you get out of it. And, and at the time, I was going as a sponsored athlete in, in my business context as a sponsor athlete just to visit some of the guys who supported me the gals who supported me to shake hands to thank them just to be there and and in my case infinity uh some booths have like sponsored athletes who help support them um infinity had nobody who'd help them and everybody in the booth was paid for by the company and i'm like hey man i'll help you out Uh, kelly farrington the owner has been super gracious with me over the years like let me just like help and uh, gosh, man, the business, the behind the scenes, the handshakes that are going on, mm-hmm. it's there's no doubt. It is. Yep. Um, I, I've stuck, continued going to Symposium because uh, what a lot of us do has grown business-wise. What Spaceland has done, what I do, what Gravity Lab Radio does, what the Rating Center does, it all has grown in part mm-hmm. two, PIA Symposium. So sure. I still think they should cancel it this year. What do you think? I'm not asking Spaceland, I'm asking sure. Christy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I couldn't begin to speak for Spaceland. We hadn't yeah. talked about it much. I know we were looking forward to Symposium because we were looking forward to um, possibly growing out the e-skydiving platform a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe making building some relationships there. But, you know, is this the right time? Hard to say. I, I think the Symposium's fun, but I do think it will be a lot, there would be a lot less people there given the time of year. Yeah. I know several... I just think it would be less successful as a result. Yeah. I know several major manufacturers who are considering not going mm-hmm. um, or going in a limited capacity. And I won't sure. divulge your names out of respect to, to sure. theirs. But, I mean, I've crap, I was on the phone with two different manufacturers today talking about just the topic. Sure. Um, and it's, it hurts my feelings because, for me, the symposium is about really one thing. It's a week of getting together with friends from around the world that I don't get to mm-hmm. see but every two years. Yep. And having good lunches and good dinners together, having a good time, laughing, <laughs> joking, watching some Italian girl think she can run every kitchen she walks into. Limo so. rides are all right, too. <laughs> <laughs> that still is my favorite. Do you know, Nick, you, you were, were you there uh, in the lobby when Nick and Valerie went to dinner with us at PIA in Dallas? Nick and I, I have spent one day at one PIA <laughs> in Dallas that I drove up for. And uh, DJ was working at the LB booth for for that event, and Spaceland had a booth. So you know, I, I only had a few people that I knew well that I was bouncing around. So I ended up spending quite a bit of time at the at the LB booth, and then uh, the team there invited me to come out to dinner with them. And mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, okay, you're more else skydivers, you know. I, I know some of these people, and uh, so I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think it was going to be a crazy outing. And then we're slowly making our way out to the front of the hotel. And there was like a like a hurry up and wait here sort of vibe, and mm-hmm. I didn't know who was who was driving. I knew we weren't all gonna pile in my van, so I was just hanging out to wait till waiting for someone who knew more than me to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sure that uh, I'm, I'm not sure who led the charge to the limo, Monica Akins. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, we were all piled in this limo and went to some fancy. It was an Italian joint, right? I'm not sure where we went. To, yes, we went to an Italian joint. Yes, we did. I remember uh, which dinner you did. The the only reason I thought that is because I remember, um, oh, uh, Roberta going back into the kitchen, 
Like she owned the place and just talking, <laughs> t- like didn't wait for a waiter, just walked back into the kitchen and started ordering food and wine. And but that's not it because was, it was an Italian kitchen. That's no, that she, that would fly anywhere, dude. We went to a sushi place that same year, and she went. She goes back. To, goes back to the kitchen. LB dinners, uh, literally. So what happened is, hey Nick, we're gonna meet at the lobby in ten minutes. Nick meets me in the lobby. Hey Nick, we're waiting here. A car's gonna show up. We'll get in the car. I'll let you know when. That's what I tell him. Here's what I know. Monica Akins and one or two of the other girls are getting a hold of a bunch of Ubers, and they'll make sure our Ubers are out here. We'll hop in a, in a, a couple Uber vans and go to dinner. And Mon comes out and says, hey, you guys go over there. By the way, this is Valerie and I's anniversary. Same day as our anniversary. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we had some uh, VIPs for LB. We had some uh, high, high-end customers of ours. So Jacob's like, you make sure they're in the limo with you guys. Take Nick and Valerie. Y'all have a good time. Have at it. Cool. Uh, so I think Jeffro joined us in the Jeffro, limo. Jeffro, uh, Laura Wagner, I yeah. think, was in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, Roberta was in there. Yeah, Roberta was there. Yeah. It was pretty. It was pretty surreal. It, it was a good time. Bunch of guys having icons crammed in this limo, and somehow I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we get to a, so whatever we get to dinner wherever we go, and when we get there, Roberta. In that case, she I was not in the kitchen, but I will bet fucking a hundred dollars. This is how this goes. She walks in the kitchen, goes, "Who here is Italian? I need to speak to the Italian. Who is Italian? I need the Italian." We we went to another Italian restaurant that same PIA, and I, I witnessed the whole thing. That's exactly how she would approach an Italian restaurant. We went to a sushi joint. We all walk in. We all sit down. We order our drinks. Next thing we know, our food shows up. Roberta orders our appetizers, our salads, our food, <laughs> our, everything. But if there's three of us, she orders three appetizers, three entrees, three of everything, and she orders that that many times around the table. Mm-hmm. So you said and done end up having more food than you want and everything that you want. Mm-hmm. I so, don't know what the word skull even means. Skull. Yeah, but, <laughs> they, skull. but they yell that and they get drunk and Jesus it was great. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I can't remember the literal interpretation of skull, but it's like kampai mm-hmm. cheers. Yeah, uh, sure. And um, it, one of the LB guys will actually, he loves doing this. Skull. And he looks to see who notices and he really tries to, and I've called him out on a good buddy. I'm like, you are not trying to get the toast. You're trying to get somebody else to do it every time. He goes, you've been watching DJ. I'm like, yes, I have. Because he goes, skull. Until somebody sees it and hears it and raises their glass and gets everybody else to join them. Yep. And it's so he's cool. Be- yeah. And he's one of the owners. And mm-hmm. the thing I like about it is they love seeing all of us have a good time. They love seeing us mm-hmm. come together. They love seeing us spread joy and love together. So for them, it's about sh- letting us have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was a cool dinner. And for me, it was neat because my wife and, and my girlfriend both were, were there for that PIA. And uh, right, did you call me your girlfriend? <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, Norwegian word. Uh, yeah, Norwegian. Uh, roughly equivalent to cheers. Yeah, there's a. I've been told the literal interpretation of it, um, and I've I don't know for certain, but I, I've heard in different Scandinavian countries it's taken on different meanings, all with the same cheers connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was just so cool that PIA is the PIA. We've never done a limo before. We've never mm-hmm. done a limo since. It was that night only. Sure, Special. but it was the night that Valerie and Nick had mm-hmm. joined us. So it, to me, it's just one of the funny stories. That's Danish, cool. Norwegian, Swedish. Icelandic. Skull is a transliteration of any of those languages. It's the Danish, Norwegian, Swedish word for cheers or good health, a salute or a toast uh, as to an admired person or group. I know that talk and hey. 
I, I, I know I, ha- I do a lot of emails to Denmark. And mm-hmm. so, hey, H-E-J is hi or hey. Kay. So, and talk, T-A-K is thanks. Gotcha. Thank, it's actually thank you. So okay. that is all my Danish. Skull, talk, and hey. That's more than I got. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, man, I, I, I got it covered. Thankfully, people in Denmark speak English mm-hmm. pretty good. Good. So uh, we we be screwed. Um, yeah. Convention. We got to the symposium. We were skydiving. Four way team. First four way team to Guayo to Guayo end of the empire. God damn it sucks. Now we're gonna go backwards just a little bit because the Guayo is what sidetracked us through this whole thing. Way to go, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I do miss. Roll him out yet? I hadn't heard him say he's done yet. Yeah. So you never know. Man, it's when I first moved here. You know, hoop. Oh yeah. Hoop um, exaggerates anything and everything. Good friend. Love the guy to death. Uh, super good buddy. But he can exaggerate the truth. Fair statement. Yeah. She's shaking her head. Yes, Hoop. Just yep. letting you know. We, we all agree. <laughs> um, there's there's an astronaut. Scott asked here. Like, whatever, dude. I, I didn't say whatever, but my brother like, yeah, there's an astronaut. Because we're at NASA. We're in Houston. There's plenty mm-hmm. of NASA people here. And my he told me three or four times there's an astronaut here. Mm-hmm. And over the, the years, I interpreted it as... There's somebody who's trained to be an astronaut who skydives here. But there's no fucking astronaut here, man. Fuck you. Oh, I never told him that. I just left it, mm-hmm. let it be. And Val uh, was on the Guayo shooting video. And as you very well know, the last dinner of the year is at Jack's house. Yep. And the, the Guayo, man, it's intimidating. You show up as the one new person, and you know this as well, mm-hmm. to a dinner because the Guayo dinners the whole team every time. Yep. And you're at dinner with everybody. So Valerie, who's new to the team, now invites me to go out to dinner with a whole team of nobody I fucking know. Who takes us under their wing and treats us the best and was super sweet to us? Mary Ellen and Jerry. Yep. Mary Ellen and Jerry tell us about everybody. Mm -hmm. She's a pilot. He's this. She's that. He's a doctorate. He, I mean, brags on everybody. Mm-hmm. And never says a word about themselves. Right. Jerry has more PhDs than there are letters in PhDs. Um, I think actually it matches, isn't it? It, it I, might. I'm not I sure. I think he's got yeah. three. He's super smart and one of the super kindest, most helpful people you and modest. ever know. Yes. And Mary Ellen, and mm-hmm. so I never knew this in Mary Ellen until Jack's dinner. He wants to show Valerie and I his DeGueo walls, right? All yep. these keepsakes, which are fucking badass. They're yep. super dope. So, hey, here's when my dad did this. This is this. This is what I'm really proud of. It's a medal for this. It's a gold mm-hmm. medal for this. This one, it's not a gold medal, but we in this year accomplished this goal or beat this team or had mm-hmm. this moment. And he tells some, Jack tells some fucking stories. Yes, he does. And before he rounds the corner of the hallway, because you had the same layout of the house, you know exactly the hallway I'm looking at. Yep. And you know exactly, he goes, I want to show you the thing I'm the most proud of on the Guayo. And I'm thinking like, dude, you just showed me some dope history. Mm-hmm. They're like, what the fuck's going to top like gold medal at nationals, right? And he shows me the picture of Mary Ellen's mission, like mm-hmm. sign. I'm like, wait, there's a fucking astronaut on the Guayo? <laughs> yeah, you it's just had fu- dinner with her. <laughs> I, I sh- the, my team mom is the astronaut? Like, what the? I didn't call her my team mom, but that's who Mary and, El- Mary, Mary and Ellen, Mary Ellen was to Valerie and I. She was, dude, she, she took us so under her wing and so modest. She's funny too because um, when my parents came to visit at one point and we went, went through NASA and they had... All the little, all the little stuff, kind of in the the entry area, and there's stuff for kids, and there's this and that. And I found a little spot where you could look up the astronauts and their history. So of course I whipped through that, and yeah, I pull up Mary Ellen. I said, "Hey, Dad, Dad, here's my friend Mary Ellen." He kind of looks at me with his head cocked. He says, "Your friend or a friend of a friend?" <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. <laughs> we were in Indiana visiting my sister and her, my niece, and we went to the Children's Museum, and she went to Purdue. Mm-hmm. So okay. an Indiana uh, grad. Mm-hmm. So guess whose picture is in the space section of 
Marianne. So we're in there, and I have Valerie and I got a selfie yep. together with a picture of Mary Ellen in there the background. Fortunately, my parents, uh, at this point, I've been in the sport for so long, my parents do understand that we have a lot of uh, unique individuals. Mm-hmm. So when we say this is a friend and an old teammate of Valerie's, they're like, oh, you know her. They, they took legitimately, we know who she is. Yeah, cool. Man, what a, what a, eclectic and and sometimes that's a bad word right um but in the guayo in the greatest version what an eclectic diverse Mm -hmm. group of human beings well you get a group of 16 people together it's uh it's always interesting and you know the funny thing you you mentioned earlier just to circle back about team drama and staying away from it or whatever and you know the thing (laughs) about a team of 16 people is there can be drama over there and it doesn't really affect you all that much Whereas with a four-way team, that kind of stuff does tend to affect a lot more. You know, that's your, the interactions just tend to be a lot closer. But, you know, either way, you spend you spend a lot of time, even if it's just one year, but especially if it goes across multiple years, as DeGuayo did, as STL-10 did, as Light did, as Aviatrix is now, you know, you go across multiple years with these people, they, they become family. I mean, if, if you didn't get along, you wouldn't still be together, you know? So it's a family you kind of get to pick. And you you mentioned earlier, um, t- Jack, talking about some of these, here's some of these moments that I'm really proud of, or this was this thing that we accomplished, even if it wasn't a gold medal. And um, one of the, I think one of the cooler experiences that I had on a team was actually with Tenway. Um, it started with actually a really negative experience um, on, as part of the team, which was, and I don't remember the year off the top of my head, but we always practiced the day before we all went out to nationals, wherever it was. We all stayed at Scott of Chicago. We did, you know, we did two draws, so we did 12 jumps. And, um, you know, weather permitting, obviously, and then go to nationals on that. <clears throat> well, somewhere in our second set, one of my teammates um, had a malfunction and, uh, and then ended up with a main reserve entanglement. And he wrote it in. He didn't die. Um, he was pretty messed up, though. And uh, he, you know, he, he got down to the local hospital, you know, got choppered out to uh, Peoria, probably. I'm not sure. And he was pretty messed up for a while. Obviously, we did not get to go to nationals with him. We still went, but it was tough. We went as a nine-way, and we picked up Mike and Abinett. Mike in a cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> I read, that's how I remember it. <laughs> Before he was on airspeed, so it was, it was pretty cool. He was great. Um, but, you know, so our teammate, whose name is Frank, um, if he's listening, and he was... He, he had a hard time. I mean, he, he compounded both of his legs. It was in a cornfield. He had a lot of issues with infe- infection, had to wear an antibiotic pump, all kinds of stuff, right? But I think it was two years later, because I think he had that pump on for a long time. Two years later, he came back, and we were still training 10-way. He said, I want back on the team. And we were all kind of like, I don't know, man. And it wasn't because we didn't love him to death, and it wasn't because we didn't think he could fly it. We were afraid, it, we were afraid he'd, he'd hit the back of the door on an exit, and it would break him again. You know, we were we were concerned about his safety and his and his health for just because he was more fragile from what he'd gone through. And he said, "You know what, guys? I know what it takes, and I know what the risks are, and I want to do it anyway." And we kind of went, "Okay, okay, that's cool." And that year we took gold, and we couldn't put a foot wrong. It was really cool. I love that you share that. It's I've known you for a long time, and I and and I've never seen. I rarely see you so soft. Um, you're a very soft lady, and, and I always see a soft side of you. You and I've got to share a lot of moments, but really appreciate sharing that because the the skydiving family that's what it means to us, right? Yeah, it does. It's building that community, building that culture. Yeah, that that means a lot. It's not just about you know I want to get this, I want to get this gold medal, I want to achieve this average, and for some people it is, you know, but not for me. Nick, there's a box on the tray next to you, uh, or around cylinder to your left. Um, Anyways, uh, um, man, as commonly happens on this show, 
we have gone way all over the place more than I wanted to. So mm-hmm. before I forget, I really want to make sure I have a couple conversations. Okay. And one of them is team building. And, and I kind of want to, to lightly start the conversation. John Hamilton is, is who helped me learn how to build a team. So yeah. that, that's a pretty good, I think, uh, mentor there. Sure. Um, it, it's We were told uh, before you pick somebody that you want to skydive with, go out and drink with them. And I actually Sorry, found, that, found that to be a pretty reasonable rule. Um, a lot of people think like, well, I want to find somebody who can skydive as good as me or they're looking for certain mm-hmm. skill sets. Um, some people are looking for different personalities. What do you recommend people do when they're looking for their first team, regardless of type? I guess it depends on what your goals are, you know, and so I can't say this is always what you should look for in a teammate. I would say if what you really want is to achieve the most you can in the shortest period of time, go hire a bunch of player coaches. The social dynamic is going to be very different, but you'll get there as fast as you possibly can. Or as some people would say, as fast as you fucking can. But, <laughs> um, you know, and if you want some sort of a balance, sometimes people do, will do one player coach. If, you're, if, you're, if what's more important to you is getting a, a team together of your peers and doing this together, there's a lot to be said for that. And that's a little bit more the kind of the route that I've always gone. Um, now, that, said, that being said, you know, people who do player coach teams generally have done higher averages than I have, you know, but we're all kind of getting there together. And there's a lot of fun and synergy in that. You know, you're hanging out in the evenings and having a good time. So depending on your approach, we'll, we'll drive what you, you're looking for in a teammate. But there's, there are some things that are obviously constant, right? People have to, they have to have a similar commitment level, you know, a complementary commitment level. You can't have somebody who wants to do, you know, two weekends a year and somebody who wants to train every weekend. That's never going to work. So you have to be kind of matched in how much you want to train. You have to be somewhat matched and on the same page about what kind of goals you want. You know, I mean, I, I filled in on a team a lot at one, one year that all they wanted to do was end the season as friends. I'm, I would have killed one or two of them if I'd actually been on that team. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. But they decided that was their overarching goal. They ended the season as friends. Okay, cool. So really, it doesn't matter as long as it matches for everybody. But commit, commitment level, matching goals, and the ability to, the, the financial and free time availability to do what you, what, to achieve those things. I love the way you just laid that out because what you just told me is you're in a five-way relationship. On a four-way team, you are. Mm-hmm. Like, and I really want you to think about this as a skydiver. If you're thinking about getting on a team, think about any relationship you've ever had. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever it is, even like super serious friends. Mm-hmm. Nick and I are actually pretty close friends, close enough I call them my girlfriend. And in this, and we've kissed on the mouth. And we've kissed on, and in this friendship, we've <laughs> gone through conflict. In this mm-hmm. conflict, we've learned to deal with and talk with each other and speak sure. with each other. And now you have to multiply that times mm-hmm. five. Um, yeah. I don't know if teams. I don't know if you've heard the, the term session zero, and I don't know what teams call this, but I call them session zeros. And I always recommend for anything you do as a group, um, session zeros are super important. So in, in the skydiving term, hey, we want to do a three-way free flight team. Then let's get together as a three-way free fight team, session zero. It doesn't count. It's zero. It's not our first session. Mm-hmm. Session zero. Hey, how many jumps do you want to make this year? How many jumps do you want to make this year? And you know the rest of that story. Sure. And, and get together and understand what your goals are, what your mm-hmm. commitments are financially, time-wise, like all those different things. Because there's zero wrong with the person who says, I want to pick up team for nationals. Freaking some of the funnest teams. Sure. There's nothing wrong with somebody who says, I want to. You don't have any expectations. It's easier to exceed them. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with doing a thousand training jumps in Mm -hmm. a year either. Uh, You and I have watched fast tracks do that, and I've watched them have fun and not have fun depending on the year. Mm -hmm. Um, It's nothing wrong. Nobody was wrong. It's just, it's it's, it's life. Sure. 
So it do, it doesn't matter what you want. Everything you describe, make sure your the the group's goals are the same. Yep. Right. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said for doing, like you said, your session zero. I would call them trial weekends, but yeah, it's <coughs> the same same thing. Hey, we think we might like to do a team together. Let's go get together for a weekend, do some jumps, and see how it goes. And sometimes you do one of those, and you're like, ooh, maybe that wasn't the right <laughs> call. And sometimes they go great. And you're like, okay, that's cool. I mean, so it just it just depends. I mean, it's but it's good to spend a little time kind of getting together with people and sometimes there are tunnel meets you know and stuff like that you can kind of see how you fly and and how you work together you're going to eventually find some bumps in the roads you know you're you're going to have a tendency to backslide on formation or i'm going to have a tendency to push the center and drive too much and eventually some of that stuff will get under your skin a little bit as you train a long time together but as long as everybody is adult and respectful and considerate of it each other you you work you work through all that and then you know you help this i help you learn how to quit backsliding just to make up something. I'm pretty sure you have a problem with that. I've seen you, you know, on evaluation jumps. I backslide like a <laughs> mad dog on those jumps. <laughs> but anyway, and, and then eventually those those things that we all need to work on become our strengths, become some of our greatest strengths because we've had to learn how to work through them. So as long as everybody has that kind of mentality, that's when you're really going places as a team. You know, when you're kind of like, yeah, that one always does that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, and you get all catty and crappy with each other. It's it doesn't it doesn't work. And, you know, you can say caddy and uh, say that normally applies to a women's team. It doesn't matter. You know, guys can be pretty bitchy, too. <laughs> oh, dude, a <laughs> thousand percent, man. I It's so. some of the biggest bitches I know got dicks. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's I, man there. I guess, fortunately, there's a small percentage of women on the drop zone, which makes it hard <laughs> to say that there it, it makes it easier to say there's more bitchy men than there are women. But I even wonder proportionally because most skydiving women I know are pretty strong. Pretty I think that emotionally the people, stable. Yeah, the women who are very successful in the sport tend to be pretty solid. Um, you know, not I won't say not emotional, but not fragile. Great, I, I love the way you said it. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. So you know, the there's always kind of some ongoing discussions, and you know, the women's skydiving groups on you know social media and whatnot. You know, how do we how do we get more women in the sport? And I think you know the the discussion of that is is interesting because it's a, supporting the the ones who are already there are great. Using the ones who are already in the sport, like myself, to support the ones coming up is also great. But sometimes the you know, the environment just it doesn't suit people as well. If they're going to be real fragile, they are, they are going to have a little bit of a harder time. Now that being said, I think somebody who is a little bit fragile can use this sport to become less fragile. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about what it takes if you're if you're a fragile personality and and you've learned how to jump out of airplanes and save your own life several times a day and this is what you do for fun, that's not fragile. So I think that that's just something if you know we what we do is not a fragile thing. Sometimes people are just a little bit more fragile in their social interactions and that's that I think is more what we're targeted at than anything else. Yeah. I love how you say that so that so many of us have gotten to become stronger, not just women, men. Sure. Um, Marion Sparks for me is a perfect example of that. She mm -hmm. was absolutely un unable to control anything in free fall. She was one of the worst students I've ever had. Um, and she knows I'll say that. Okay. Um, and I say that because look at who she is today um, and what she can do in skydiving. She's not a world-class champion. She's not a world-class athlete. She got a late start in the sport, and she holds her own on any skydive she's on. She does completely fine, and she is doing a great thing for a great cause. Yes, yeah, she is. And and that jump for the rose cause just the fragility of her the nature of fragility she could have never done anything to help somebody that way in those days her and I've right. had these conversations uh, publicly even on this show so I, I don't feel bad about it's, it's not I'm, I'm not saying hopefully anything bad about Marion because she's an absolutely wonderful lady no I love her she's awesome. um four way so 
that's an approach to get to a team. Mm-hmm. For, make sure we all have the same goals. But one thing that is guaranteed, and I, and I mentioned with you, you I rarely have seen you around any of the drama and for the most part don't know of you to be really connected to the drama. Mm-hmm. But drama will come up on every team. Sure. Just to different to different levels, yeah. I mean, you know, some and some of it's just when you're when you're all a bunch of pretty strong personalities, you're all driven to perform well. You're you're all pretty intense, and that intensity sometimes it'll it's it's going to come out you know a little sideways every once in a while. I'd I'd rather have that than have somebody who's just like, meh, whatever, you know, we'll get there when we get there. You know what I mean? But that's just you know when you're at the when you're at the end of a training day, you've done twelve out of fourteen jumps. You're tired. You've been trying to run to make the caravan back to backs all day. You're worn out, you know, sometimes something hits you a little sideways and that it's going to happen. It doesn't mean that you end up lashing out at somebody. It's usually just going to be something, something, just some little comment or a look or something. You know, somebody's really annoyed and then later on they'll be like, I mean, and we've had these, you know, somebody says, you know what? I'm really sorry about today. A lot of stuff going on at work and it's, it's not you guys. You guys are great and I'm so sorry I was an asshole, <laughs> you know. So that's what you need to be able to keep performing as a team. You know, you're all going to have those little moments. Just being able to take it, learn from it, fix it, and keep keep performing well as a group. Because I think that you, you do see teams sometimes, again, it's an intense situation with a lot of type A personalities. When people start getting sideways with each other, it, it can deteriorate. And not like we haven't seen any of that in politics lately. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, it can deteriorate pretty badly if, if you let it. But it, all you have to do is be a decent human, you know. And if somebody's having, in some, 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 sometimes you look at somebody like, that was kind of directed at me, but I'm pretty sure that's not actually about me. I'm just going to chill with it a little bit and just let it roll. And I bet you it'll get better tomorrow. And it does. You know, but it takes, it takes a certain level of emotional maturity to do that. But when you're doing what we're doing with the intensity that we are, I think it's a really important part to the longevity and the success and the enjoyment that everybody gets out of it, you know? I think you simplified it so well. Be a decent human being. And and I and I think simplifying is such a uh understatement or, or a, a uh, uh gosh, an insult to the what to what you said because what you said is so much more profound than just that that simple way. Um be a decent human and when when you're in that conflict and and I for for AFF courses, we see a lot of teamwork going on. You, you mm-hmm. and I have both been in that environment. And every now and then I have to pull a candidate aside who's teamed up with a partner who straight up sucks. It's like, man, you're not at the same level, and now no you have to like. deal with this, right? <laughs> yep. It's horrible. Um, man, when yeah, you I see... I really would have had that catch, except my uh, other jump master just took me all the way out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you see that problem with your teammate, instead of saying what's wrong with your teammate, mm-hmm. say, what can I do to help them? And I think the point that a lot of people miss when somebody's screwing up is they're thinking about how that person screwing up is affecting their skydive. Like, oh, why do they have to keep doing that? You know, they're doing their best. I think that's the important thing to remember. If we're on a team and we're going for a certain performance, we're all doing our best to get there. We mm-hmm. just may not be on the same page yet with how to get there, or maybe we have a bad day, or maybe this is a skill skill we need to work on. It'll be like, hey... I know we're having a little trouble with this. Why don't you and I go do some drills after this is done and let's see if we can kind of figure that out. Whatever it is. But just remember that we're all trying to do our best. And so when you're getting, when you know you're having a hard time with something and somebody kind of attacks you for it, like, come on, why can't you do this right? It I know, it's frustrating it for me. It doesn't help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? It doesn't help you get better. So what you got to think about is, you know, where's that team going and what what's going to help us get to that? What's going to help us break through this? Not... It's- 
just lashing out at somebody because you're annoyed and you just need to blow off some steam. That's If you're in that position, I would bet money the person you're frustrated with probably has more negative emotions concerning the problem than yep. you do. Yep. They're probably more frustrated not only with themselves but with the fact that they're disappointing you without mm-hmm. you even saying a word. Yeah. Like you the, the be- if you're that frustrated with a teammate, the best thing you could probably do is support them, mm-hmm. show them some love and help them mm-hmm. because reality is is now you're the good guy and they are the only one feeling bad Mm -hmm. and they probably won't feel bad at the end of the day and you'll both smile and have a good beer together. Yeah. I mean, it's really help help them out. It's going to get you a lot further. For sure. And, you know, and you have have this when you go from team to team as well because different teams do things differently. You have different strengths. You play to those strengths. You know, and so you have different things that you work on. You may turn a different block a different way than your previous team, and you may have to learn that. You know, it's not that you stink at it. It's just that you gotta you got to learn it. you got to figure out how to make your techniques compatible, especially as you get on teams that have trained trained a while in different styles. You know, different coaches have different styles that they will yeah. – that they'll. so you, you run into some of that. So, yeah, again, just being a good teammate. And, and I've had some of the best ones. And we're so young of a sport. We've evolved mm-hmm. tons. So you've got to be open to those changes. Yep. There, there's some decent advice to getting to those teams, but at some point, somebody wants to get to the next level team. Mm-hmm. You have gotten to those next level teams. Currently, your team name is Aviatrix. Yep. Uh, please spell that. A-V-I-A-T-R-I-X-X. Why two X's at the end? Because there's multiples. Because there's multiples? Female pilots. Female pilots. It's an all-women's team, right? Yep. And that's the chromosome thing, isn't it? X, Y, Z. You can do that too. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Um, just making sure. There's an actual a European team called Aviatrix mm-hmm. um, who I think is all female as well. I think it's free uh, mostly fly team. tunnel maybe. Th- free fly. It may have been used. The name may have been used a couple times. Yeah, th- I think sure. the name's been used a few mm-hmm. times actually. A yeah. few times. But there's current, I, and they might not even, I might be wrong, they might mm-hmm. not be women, but there is currently a free fly team Aviatrix out of uh, Europe. I can't remember the country anymore. Gotcha. Um, Aviatrix, how did this team come to be? How did you girls get together? So it actually kind of started with um, Jill Stevenson, who's a current tail on team, and uh, Aaron Lewis, who has recently moved to Hong Kong, and um, approached me, and they wanted to do a team. And I said, sure, why not? It'll be fun. Um, and we were we were kind of looking for a fourth at the time. And then at some point, Aaron kind of stepped out of that. Um, we pulled Rhonda. We had pulled Rhonda in, because Rhonda and I uh, flew together in Dubai in 2014. Rhonda's my locker mate, locker yes. mate right? Yes. Locker. Locker. That's coming from. So in, in 2014 at the DIPC, and that's actually kind of a fun story, too, because um, 2014 was, was an, an interesting year for me for a number of reasons. But um, there was no women's team. What? Oh, I'm stretching my neck. Okay. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? No, no. Um, but so we, we had competed at nationals that year on separate teams and then got the call after nationals. Hey, we're, tr- we're trying to pull together a women's four-way team to go to the Dubai International Parachuting Championships, which was right after, right around Thanksgiving. And the Golden Knights uh, female team, I believe, was the uh, female champions that year, but they couldn't go for whatever reason. And so because there was no other all-female team in open, they started cherry-picking female competitors out of the open division that were on different teams. And they said, hey, we're trying to get together this team. Um, you know, you guys, are you guys in? And it's like, wait, it's in what? Like three weeks? (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. We've never even jumped together? Okay, we'll see how this goes, you know. So, of course, there were rounds of emails and phone calls and, you know, trying to figure out who could do it and who couldn't and where we're going to get to train at all. And we ended up with a weekend in Dallas um, before Spaceland purchased Dallas. The weather was complete garbage. So we got zero practice jumps. We got some tunnel. <laughs> but so we showed up. The four of us showed up. It was, it was me and, and Rhonda Wilcox, my current inside center on Aviatrix, Amanda Lampton, and uh, Christina Peterson. 
and uh, Rhonda's husband, Chad, was on video. We had done zero practice jumps together. None of us had ever jumped together. And so we showed up in Dubai going, <laughs> roll the dice, you know. We got, to, we got two practice jumps and then and went into the competition. And um, it was, it went really, really, really well. And we thought it would ha- after the tunnel, um, but uh, we ended up with silver. And it was not bad. And it was a money meet too, which didn't hurt. It's always so. nice to take a little money home. There's not much of that in skydiving. <laughs> it's rare. <laughs> it's so, rare. Somebody told me the other day, uh, I think it was yesterday on a phone call, about how uh, horrible of a living we get to make in skydiving until mm-hmm. you make it big and then you get rich. And I'm like, I got a lot of people made it big. <laughs> and I don't know any of them who are rich. I mean, uh, I, I might be telling a little bit of a secret, but I don't think skydive Spaceland is as awesome of a DZ because skydiving is so financially beneficial. I think it's because... Our mm-hmm. boss has a lot of business prowess and other adventures as well. Yeah. I think this drops on his And the, that's not a Roger Nelson joke. He's in the aircraft business, to be clear. Um, but for anybody who thinks he's, anything else is going on. Um, no, awesome. it's, skydiving is not a get-rich-quick mm-hmm. scheme. No, you know? it's not. Airplanes are expensive. Oh, man, and skydivers are, and gear are, and mm-hmm. insurance. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine what insurance for, for owning a drop zone's got to be like. I have, mm-hmm. Could you imagine getting paying that bill? No idea. I'm positive most drop zones not, are insured, not, not if not department. all, right? Yeah. Could you imagine what the insurance bill on mm-hmm. skydiving is with what the average world looks at us to be? Yeah. And you ask your DZO why he's so worried about money. Man, mm-hmm. be happy your DZO is running <laughs> a drop zone, guys. It yeah. is a hard business to run, big or small. These people, it it's, it's, a, it's a passion of, uh, it's a labor of passion, not a, a labor of, of money. Yeah. You know, Nick as a manager, I think, could attest, and he only runs a small portion of the DZ said and done. Um, it, it is, it's, it's, it's a passion, isn't it, Nick? That's uh, gotta be. <laughs> it's yeah. Gotta I, be. I think that's the only way that, uh, anyone who wants to have any sort of longevity in, uh, God, for, for sure for me and, and my, my part in helping to, to keep things going there. If I didn't love that place so much, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't last very long. And I think that brings us right back to the team thing. It's got to be a passion. Absolutely. Yeah. So whatever your passion is, find out. Mm-hmm. Is is the passion to get a gold medal? And then find three other people who are. Mm-hmm. Is the passion just to get better? And for me, mm-hmm. I competed for a short time. I competed for zero fucks about a team, for zero mm-hmm. fucks about a competition. I just knew if I wanted to become better at what I was trying to do, competing on a team together was an easy way to increase my skill set. Sure. And it is that for a couple of different reasons. One, there's a structure to measure by which you're getting better. Mm-hmm. Are you turning more points? Are you fly, staying up on your wingsuit longer? Are you going further on your <coughs> wingsuit? Are you, whatever. Are you, you, whatever it is you're going for, there's a structure. If you're competing, there's a structure that's pre, kind of pre-built in there for you. Mm-hmm. And if you're competing, training for a team sport, you have a group of people that's getting together consistently and is going for the same thing. So you're not sorting fall rates out every day with a, with a new group, you know, maybe you're getting a chance to train in the tunnel. Some, it it is just a much, much quicker way to standardize both the progression and the environment in which you're training to get there. So we get close to the end here. And as we Mm -hmm. do, I want to make sure I don't miss one of the other things I want to talk about is aviatrix is where you're at now. and, Mm -hmm. And you've made it to a high level, not just with aviatrix, even prior to this, I am on a four-way team. I am trying to compete, and, and I've had a few years under my belt, but I, I think it's time for me to take it to the next level. It's time for me to find a serious, committed team mm-hmm. who is going for medals in whatever class they're in. Okay. What advice would you give those flyers? I would, give, I would tell those flyers to get out, travel a little bit, go to some of the things like 
and I know not everybody would want to do this this year because pandemic, but the <laughs> uh, the Paraclete Tunnel Meet, if you're looking to do Belly FS, four-way and or eight-way, um, is a great place to meet a lot of people because there's there's usually it's it's packed and it's got people it often has some international teams coming in as well because it's also a money meet but uh, there's just there are a ton of people and they don't care how many teams you're on you can do three four way teams if you <laughs> if you want to pull it off you can do two eight way teams i'm going to be doing that this year two eight way teams probably you're so, going to lose your mind <laughs> it's busy it's busy but it's but it's fun and so and i and i've kind of been in that situation kind of vetting out potential teammates um, that stuff like that, you know, and I had one team that started out with, Hey, we, you know, we, we know we're all, we know who we all are. We all pretty good. We haven't really trained together, but let's just go ahead and see if the schedules match. If the schedules don't match, there's no point in even trying, you know, so it's a kind of a different way of doing things. It's funny, but, but you meet a lot of people. The other thing that you'll do is you'll, you'll meet a lot of, a lot of the coaches, a lot of the, the higher level coaches, you know, your Dan BC is out in California, your Kirk's over on the East coast, your airspeed, you know, in the Arizona and central areas. And what, what they will do is they will help you network. They say, okay, I see that person. That person's a really good point flyer, wants a good four-way team. I know some people who are working to put something together over here. you got to be willing to travel a little bit and network and build those relationships. And you'll meet a, you'll, you'll meet a lot of people. And, but, have, but a lot of times those coaches will kind of help put those teams together just by saying, hey, why don't you go talk to so-and-so? Or a team will come up, will go to that coach that they know and say, "Hey, I'm, you know, we're we're looking to change out this slot, or hey, we're looking to go to the next level. Who do you who you who do you think would be a good fit?" Well, I'm not going to talk to the, talk about that one because they're already committed over here, but these this one may work well for you. It helps. It's not always uh, what you, you can can't do. always find what you want locally. If you're if you're going to a higher level, sometimes yeah. somebody somebody's got to travel. Our team's a good example of that. We got one from every time zone. Where, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, but there's only four time zones in the U.S. Which ones? But we're all in America, right? America, United States. Uh, I'm so smart. I actually, because I work internationally with one of my jobs, I've had to start learning to say U.S. Because as Americans, we say America. Sure. But then I have to realize, well, I deal with North America and South America mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. And like, I have to say the U.S. So. Flip a coin. Yeah, the U.S. So, so yeah, no, we, I'm from the U.S. I actually dealt with somebody today who thought I was in a different part of the world who's right around the corner from me. Like, yo, no, no, I live two hours from you, man. I'm, I'm in the U.S. I'm not where you think I am. Nice. Uh, yeah. So it's so, that's one of my favorite things about this pandemic is uh, my wife's job, the idea of working from home was never going to be possible. And if you're sick or, for example, hey, we have some contractors coming around the house. We happen to right now. Um, can I work from home while I deal with these contractors? Mm-hmm. No way. The ability now to, like, yeah. we're still, she's still working from home. But as the pandemic ends, they've already declared, like, hey, if you ever need to work from home, we've proven this is very doable. Mm-hmm. You can you can work from home. And, yeah. And I do, I don't know how I got sidetracked. Uh, I do love the fact that we are working from all over the world mm-hmm. uh, in, in one place. Yep. Um, man, there's so much more of Christian's stories I want to share. So we have to, it's, I love the shows that go by way too quick and I hate the shows that go by way too quick. Um, Nick and I have sat here and pulled teeth and banged our head against the wall. I know there's times I've stared at my watch going, is this over yet? Mm-hmm. Um, How about now? And, and this, I've been watching you check your watch. I'll see what you're thinking. He's just trying to keep me on time. He knows I got a bedtime. Uh, and that's what I'm <laughs> checking is to make sure that we're on time. So uh, I actually monitor conversations through the show <laughs> and what's sure. going on. And that's how I know Rabbit said hi or said hey to mm-hmm. Melissa. Um, and I check the time because I'm like, oh, my God, time tonight mm-hmm. has flown absolutely by. Um, I'm not shocked. I have pretty good expectations with this. Uh, so number one, promise me we'll do this again sometime. Okay. We'll, we'll wait a while, but uh, we'll okay. do this together sometime. And uh, second of all, what else would you like to share about skydiving with those young jumpers watching? Oh, so many things. Um, I mean, there's a there. You are have ten minutes, by the way, so not a huge rush. Ten minutes. Oh, I thought you were you going don't for like th- a final sentence or something. Oh, you could be a final <laughs> sentence too, but you don't. You, you don't have to crush yourself. 
I mean, I would I'd say there's two things. One, as you get into the sport, you've, you've learned how to skydive safely. You've learned how to throw yourself out of an airplane and survive. There are going to be a lot of things that you want to try that may seem like a great idea that may have risks that you don't know about. So definitely check with somebody who, if you're thinking about doing something new, you want to do a, you want to do a tube exit, you know, you want just any of the things that you want to try that you haven't tried yet, just ask somebody what the best way is to do it. Because it's not just a matter of somebody's going to say, no, don't do that. They're going to say, this is how you do that safely and make it work. So it's going to go a lot better for you in that way. And just don't forget to have fun. Don't beat yourself up if you have, if, if you don't get something the first time you try it. I mean, we do this stuff for how many years? <laughs> and we still suck. <laughs> and we still suck. Um, we're still working on it. This way I would put it. Come on, that's marketing. Um, but if, if everybody could do it the first time out, we'd all be bored and we'd all be doing something else by now. I think you know, we represent 60 years of skydiving in this room. How many years have you been jumping? Man, I think 15. Where there is 60 <laughs> years of skydiving. <laughs> Fuck, we're the old people. Yeah, it had to happen eventually. Uh, I mean, better that way than not. Jim Crouch was just in town recently. Mm-hmm. and uh, I like him. He's a good dude. Man, Nick, I almost called you in for an impromptu session with Jim Crouch. He's the former director of safety and training. Mm-hmm. And then him and I were joking around because I remember when, and I named all the old people who used to be in these p- positions. And I said, yeah, but, and I told Jim and I were joking about how these were the people. And then I named all the names that replaced them. And it was me and all my friends. And I'm like, when did we become did the old people? Happen? Jim, he's like, ain't fun, is it? Like, he gave me so much shit for it. Yep. We are the uh, matured, experienced individuals at the drop zone, Christy. And now we write the safety articles. And you look good at the, for the uh, for the age of 29. You still look good. Hey, thanks. So, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, you do. Actually, um, I really, I mean, you don't have to ever answer the age question, but I really, truly would never guess your age because I know you long enough that I know you're not, that I know I'd guess your age wrong. Because I've known you this long. I know you have to be at least this old. I would guess you younger if I didn't know you for so long. So you hold yourself I'll take, well. I'll take that. Thanks. Oh, yeah, you do. Um, team, it team, has been, team training keeps you young. It has been an honest, honest challenge going through your photos. Some of them that look like they could have been from last year mm-hmm. are from, like, I'm looking at one right now from 2012. You, I, you could have been taken today. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't aged much, man. Nope. No, I think she dyes her hair a little bit, but that's because, uh, you know, she likes different colors every year. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Did you... Did, did I tell you that that story at one point? So, I mean, you know, I you know I had cancer in twenty. Are you talking about the time that you told me you had a wig when I finally realized you had cancer? Is that that story? That actually isn't that isn't even there. Um, okay. So, <laughs> first thing that happened is I found out I was going to have to do chemo and I was probably going to lose my hair. So I went ahead and whacked it off so I could donate it. So that was one change. And then um, you know when it really started falling out, they you know, threw the wig on. And at some point, you know, Trent says. Man, what's up with you? You change your hair like every week. And I was like, that just felt like a change. (laughs) She, uh, (laughs) smart ass. Well, during the whole thing. Like, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. At some point, she had this nice blonde (laughs) wig on. And this has been going on for quite a long time now. And I was like, man, I really like what you've done with your hair lately. And she goes, you really don't know, do you? (laughs) And I'm like, what? She goes, I have cancer and I'm going through it. And and, A, you're a very blunt woman in general, but we have a history and a friendship where you just Mm -hmm. don't mind speaking your mind to me, mainly because I think you loved seeing the look of dumbfound. I was (laughs) like, "Uh, uh, what? It was pretty. It was pretty. Yeah. Because, (laughs) man, caught me off guard. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't. How would I miss that? We work hand in hand in a lot of cases. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, the plastic surgeon said I had probably one of the best wigs he'd ever seen. It looked good, man. I thought <laughs> I thought you were getting hot, man. I was like, man, look at this blonde girl. I thought I was up. getting hot. I wasn't already. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't like brunettes. I like blondes mm-hmm. and gray-haired women, Valerie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, wait a minute. That's not a compliment. How did that happen? So uh, tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by the letters M. 
and <laughs> Cookie Monster. <laughs> um, oh, when did we turn into Sesame Street? <laughs> I don't know. I'm backpedaling. Gray haired. Wait a minute. Great. Don't say that again. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so uh, just a quick change before I ask you for your final words, uh, guys and gals who are paying attention, listening. Uh, we have done different formats of time over time recently. Uh, recently, I let the guys and gals on the show know we are changing a little bit of our schedule. Uh, because Nick and I have gotten intensely busy and because of COVID, we actually have a limited number of guests passing through town. Sure. Uh, for the foreseen future, we're going to be an every other week show. We are cutting back just a little bit. Um, I hate to do that to you guys. I know a lot of you like the frequency of the show, but at some point I, I think we're going to suffer in quality if we just mm. don't pull back a little bit because Nick and I were both losing our minds. Um, I don't. Think hey, we're both losing our hair now too. Mine started. Are you losing your oh, hair? Oh, dude, it's, it's on its way. Welcome to the club. I got this dope head razor, man. You'll love it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just gonna keep wearing these hats that you keep giving me. Skullshaver.com. dude. I got more hats if you need more hats. Not a problem. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, if you listen to the show, you pay attention to the show every other week. That's what we're gonna start going to. We will have the occasional extra guest if somebody shows up in town and we can't miss, like Norman's in town or something. We'll do a third show in a month. But uh, for those of you who love and listen to the show, thank you. Uh, thank you for your patience over the last few months as we've really I've, I've been having a really rough time with the schedule but that's what we're going to do Christy any last things you want to share with your friends and family as we cut out of here no it's just uh, thanks for having me it was a lot of fun awesome I appreciate it Mr. P anything else you want to say that's it thank you so much for being here it's been great uh, you're a wonderful person that's great working with you love great you working with you too love well, you too let's keep it up Keep don't, the recording live in Facebook. Keep the recording live <laughs> in Facebook. Come on it. In Facebook. Guys and gals, a lot of you listen to the show. A lot of you enjoy the show, and I really appreciate it. Nick, is Facebook dead? I think it died, yeah. I don't know what screen it ended yeah, up on. Yeah, yeah. You hit end on that right screen, right? All right, here we go. Nope. Yeah. I see it. It's back. It's alive. Is it in? It's keep, done. Keep ending the show. It's still on. No, no. I want <laughs> Facebook is ended. Oh, okay. Bye, Facebook. In Facebook. In okay, Facebook here for real. we go. In Facebook over. for real. Absolutely. Okay, bye. Absolutely for real. Uh, because last week we did this, last show we did this, and somebody heard us on Facebook Live, and I got the message right away. I'm going to do it a fucking again. If you are one of those guys who listens to the last second of the show, congratulations. Uh, Email me, I love Christy, and I will send you an Aries 2. I love Christy. <laughs> you get a free Aries 2 from LBL Altimeters. Blue skies, we are out. Out.